And we are on air right now. It is Thursday night, September the 29th, and we're going to, uh, on Banfor Racing Radio, we're going to be uh, discussing our Talladega NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. I'm not, I'm not Jay uh, Lasky tonight. <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> not tonight. All right. Maybe next. Maybe next week. It's good to be here. I uh, always enjoy it. I know we got uh, obviously breaking news today for a, a big hot topic coming up tonight. Oh yeah. It's always fun and games. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Okay. During the first half hour, we are going to start with some short track news and upcoming races. We're going to also preview the ARCA West Series out at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California. We'll follow that up with our preview of the ARCA Menard Series race out at Salem Speedway. So uh, some racing taking place in the short track arena as well as the ARCA Menard Series this weekend. At 9 o'clock, we do have our uh, media interview with Zane Smith, the NASCAR Truck Series driver of the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford. And after that, we'll actually do our preview of the NASCAR Truck Series out of Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, they are back on the track this weekend. At 9.30, we'll get into our uh, preview of the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series races out of Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, so, yes, there's lots of news that is uh, swirling around the races at Talladega this weekend, and uh, we will have a few of those topics to discuss on our Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 o'clock with our Fan for Racing crew. So, uh, a lot to talk about here tonight, Jay. Uh, there always is. I know we're winding down, getting a, a lot of tracks doing their season finale or championship runs. We've talked about a couple. We're getting close to that with the truck series you mentioned uh, for Talladega. I believe that's their third from the end. They've got this one and then two more. Uh, so going to be a huge impact on the uh, championship uh, standings there uh, when we leave Talladega, as I think all series are. Yeah, and, and Talladega is one of those tracks that is the um... – uh, wild card of the of the playoffs uh, because you never know what's going to happen at Talladega. So we'll see what happens. Uh, there's a lot that can happen. Whoops, I went to the 23 schedule. There's a lot that can happen, <laughs> and um, uh, anybody can win at uh, the super speedway tracks, and Talladega is our biggest super way, speedway track of the season. So um, uh, a lot of uh, uncertainty going into the race this weekend. Uh, Now, you mentioned the truck series. I want to just cover that real quick here. Uh, The truck series will be, they're right now uh, in their playoff round of eight. They do have Talladega Super Speedway this weekend, and then Homestead Miami will be their uh, elimination race. I believe it's going to be the elimination race for all of the series. So four drivers will come out off of the um, list for the NASCAR Truck Series, leaving them with their championship four to race for the uh, title at Phoenix Raceway. 
<laughs> yeah, and I don't know that right now, I, I know they've changed this up uh, over the past couple of years. Talladega in the middle of this round, great spot for the wild card event to take place. And then Homestead, Miami, which used to be the championship uh, venue, is now, like you mentioned, that final cutoff to get into the championship for for, uh, for Vegas. So I like the way this series uh, schedule runs out here at the end. Yeah, actually, Las Vegas, um, there's, there's a couple more rounds here. I'm looking at the... Uh at the Xfinity Series now, they've got a race in between Homestead, Miami, and, and uh, Phoenix, and that'll be Martinsville Speedway on October the 29th. So for the Xfinity Series, Martinsville is going to be their elimination race to determine their final four for the race at Phoenix. And for the Cup Series, they're right now in the round of uh, 12, so their elimination race will be at Charlotte, after the week after Talladega, and then they go into their round of eight at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Homestead, Miami in the middle, and again, Martinsville will be their elimination race for the uh, championship for title. So just, uh, just uh, some clarification there on how that plays out. Yeah, and that too I like is kind of unique. I know we kind of get paired up where they're looking at the same schedule, but they are a little bit different here. I know the trucks have that gap we've talked about. You just mentioned uh, they haven't been on the track since Bristol. Um, so it also keeps it varied and really, I think, builds that intensity and anticipation. It really does. Okay, let's go over to Racing America, uh, our, one of our short track uh, headquarters, if you will. And uh, there's a Racing America is going to feature the New England Triple Header uh, that's coming up this weekend at Lee USA Speedway. So uh, New England will have a lot of racing uh, this weekend over at Racing America from Lee USA Speedway. And I know for, especially for the Northeast, again, I'm not as familiar. Uh, I wish Andy were on here to talk about this, but uh, <clears throat> again, this time of year, uh, I don't know if they consider it a crown event, but it is certainly one that uh, picks up a lot of publicity. And as we mentioned, it is going to be covered on Racing America. Mm-hmm. And then also the Northwest Super Late Models is closing their season with the Fall Classic out at uh, Tri-City Raceway in Washington for the second straight year. So uh, some of that racing will also be available for live streaming over at Racing America. Uh, it's a pretty large field. 37 super late models are uh, on the entry list. Uh, seven entries are former Fall Classic winners. And um, it's it's going to be one of those that you'll want to uh, definitely uh, take a look at uh, for for uh, the weekend. And this is where, where I mentioned that as we get excited and preview these races, it's also kind of sad, as you said, it's the ending the season. Uh, we're getting to that time of year, unfortunately, uh, where um, team or especially tracks the the northwest northeast got to wrap up a little bit earlier than uh, us down here in the south. Okay, now there is a cancellation that you should know about too. The management team over at Jennerstown Speedway, along with the Champion Racing Association, has mutually agreed to cancel the October 1st Fall Brawl 
at Jennerstown Speedway due to low expected car count as a result of the ongoing supply chain shortage issues along with increased operating costs that have plagued the short track racing industry across the country. So something that you really don't want to see happen. Uh, this year has been such an unusual year in racing uh, across the board with the supply chain issues and uh, uh, the inflation also impacting the racing industry. So uh, really sad to hear that happening, but wanted to make sure people knew that that race is canceled. It, it is unfortunate. I know we had to deal with a couple uh, down here for tire issues. Um, as far as that, the sprint cars uh, came up a little short on tires. So, yeah, that has been throughout the country, and it's very unfortunate. Um, I know we had a couple or one canceled this weekend, a dirt one. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with those in uh, Florida and now Carolina with Hurricane Ian um, that had to cancel due to that, the weather coming in or going out and uh, availability of travel as well. Exactly. Now, there will be another triple header that's uh, taking place at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park October 7th to the 9th. Uh, and uh, Tommy Baldwin Racing announced that modified driver Mike Christopher Jr. will drive the number seven for them during those modified races during the Sunoco World Series weekend. So it's another triple header big, big racing weekend out there at Thompson uh, Speedway Motorsports Park. And this is one of those stories I'd love to see. Christopher uh, Jr., a young up-and-coming modified driver, a team like Tommy Baldwin Racing, uh, utilizing these drivers. Uh, you know, I've seen this uh, all throughout his career that Tommy Baldwin stayed in, involved in other series of racing, and we've talked about that, giving that opportunity for these drivers to um, display and uh, exhibit their talent um, and get noticed, because uh, I tell you what, if if Tommy Baldwin's recommending somebody, I guarantee you people are paying attention to it. Yes, indeed. Uh, from Quebec, Canada, uh, Mark Antoine Tamaran uh, won the championship in NASCAR's Penty Series, and uh, he was as surprised as anybody that he was able to do that at 43 years of age. So there's an article about that over at uh, Racing America as well. And you got to appreciate Racing America covering these uh, these racing series that maybe don't get a whole lot of other coverage. Uh, you know, even myself, it, it's tough to find information, even in this day and age of technology, that covers the Pinty Series and their championship. So I love seeing that Racing America, Flow Racing, uh, expanding their um, platform as well to cover a lot of these, and I greatly appreciate that, and I know a lot of fans do. Yes, indeed. We're running out of time for tonight here, but uh, head on over to flowracing.com as well. There's all kinds of racing uh, with the USAC sprints uh, that will be taking place this weekend, uh, the Virginia Triple Crown, the Million Dollar Cruise, um and uh, late model oil, the Lucas Oil late model dirt series, and the Castro Flow Racing at Atomic Speedway. There's just so many that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so you can get more over at Flow Racing. Right now, Jay and I are going to we've got two ARCA races to preview this weekend, and we're going to start 
with the ARCA West race that's uh, taking place out at All-American Speedway uh, this weekend. I'm looking for the pit box on that. <laughs> pit box, ARCA West. Here we go. Um, so that race is going to take place this weekend at All-American Speedway out in Roseville, California for the Arkham Menard Series West. It's the Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by Burko Redwood on Saturday, October the 1st, 7.45 p.m. Pacific Time. That's 10.45 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be available for live streaming at Flow Racing, and the radio coverage will also be available at ArcaRacing.com. This is a .333-mile paved oval, and they will be racing 150 laps. On Saturday, October 1st, they'll have practice and qualifying from 3.15 to 4.30 p.m. local time, and the race again is at 7.45 Pacific time. So uh, there's a lot on the line here. Uh, They've got three races, including this one, left in their season, uh, but they've been away from the track for about a month. And so they're ready to get back uh, back to racing for sure. And they will admit this race serves as the ninth event on the 2022 Arkham Menard Series West schedule and marks the 24th visit uh, by the series to the .333 mile paved oval. Now that puts three races left in the West Series as Jake Drew continues to uh, hold a comfortable lead in the standings right now with a 52-point advantage on Sunrise Ford Racing teammate Tanner Reif entering Saturday's race there at All-American. Now, the West Series made its debut out at All-American in 1977 when Sumner McKnight collected his first series victory. Among drivers to earn West Series victories at All-American Speedway include Jim Brown, Eric Holmes, a big name, Dylan Kwasniewski, I remember him. Uh, Michael Self has been on our show as well, Gio Skelsey, and most recently, recently P.J. Pedroncelli. Uh, so those are some of the former winners. We'll talk about the entry list here in just a minute. You know, the thing to watch is the tight kind confines of All-American Speedway there in Roswell, California. It always puts on the entertaining show when the Arkham and Art Series West comes to town. And there's no reason to think Saturday's race will be any different. Mention Drew, he enters the race as the man to beat, as he's won half of the eight races contested thus far this season. However, only one of those victories came on an oval. So he'll try to add his second oval victory at All-American. Okay, his competitor, Rife, is the only driver to beat Drew since early June. He scored victories at Irwindale Speedway in March and at Evergreen Speedway in August. Drew and Rife both will be among the contenders at All-American Speedway. But there's another driver to watch this way this week, P.J. Pedrancelli. That's right. He's returning to All-American as the defending West Series race winner. So he's taken the last two races off now and returns to the West Series competition fresh, which could be bad news for his rivals there Saturday night, especially as a defending race champion. That's true. Local favorite Cole Moore returns to All-American, still in search of his first West Series victory, 
Moore captured the 2020 late model track championship at All-America. And for his competitors, that means he knows how to get around that tricky facility. And Landon Lewis, another one who triumphed earlier this year at Kern County Raceway Park in Bakersville, California, continues his pursuit of the second victory of the year in Bill McAnally's number 16. Veteran racing racer uh, John Moore returns to the series West Series for the first time since 2015. He'll be aboard the number 24 Chevrolet for team owner Alex McNally. Some other series regulars scheduled to de- compete include Joey East, Todd Souza, Bridget Burgess, Takuma Koga, and uh, we'll take a look at the entry list here. I'm going to try to go down here, uh, Jay, and see if I can capture the ones that we have not yet talked about. Uh, in the number four right. is Sebastian Arias from Winston-Salem. He'll be driving the uh, Betco Brady IFS Rubbermaid Commercial Products Toyota for Eric Nascimento with Mike Nascimento on top of the pit box. Uh, down as far next one we haven't talked about the 11 is Chris Loudon he comes from Las Vegas Nevada he'll be in a John Wood Chevrolet number 11 with Dave Jackson as his crew chief and another Las Vegas native Kyle Keller is in a number 12 that'll be a Ford for Steve Bone in it uh, Jerry Pitts is the crew chief listed there okay we've had uh, Sean Hingarani on the show a few weeks ago, he'll be driving the number 19 uh, Fidelity Capital Chevrolet uh, for his own race team, I believe, and he'll be coming from uh, Newport Beach, California. And then R.J. Smotherman uh, from Rump, Nevada, will be driving the Blue Valor Whiskey Stoney Chevrolet for John Wood, Matt Jackson on top of the pit box. We did mention PJ, but Paul Pedrincelli also going to be returning to the series, a self-owned Chevrolet. Rod, Rod Nealon will be crew chiefing that uh, Rancho Victoria Weddings, number 31. And then Andrew Tuttle in the number 39, Gearhead Coffee Chevrolet from Caldwell, Idaho. Kanisha Tuttle is listed as the crew chief. All right. Driving the number 77 from Northridge, California, is Nick Joannides. He'll be driving for Jan's Towing King Taco uh, in that Toyota. Joe Nava is the owner. Dave McKenzie will be his crew chief. And Brian Kaminsky from Cottonwood, California, will be driving the SK Construction Wards Concrete Toyota, the number 80. Uh, Brian is the owner. Derek Copeland is the crew chief. Another uh, Mike Knocky Ford will be the number 84 of Bradley Erickson driving. Comes out of Phoenix, Arizona with Knocky Clower Racing. Uh, crew chief is not listed yet. But then we got the Vince Little Machine driver and owner in the number 85 Chevrolet. Comes out of Madero, California. Sponsorship carries uh, Daryl Herzog Roofing and True Quality Construction with Daryl Herzog as the crew chief. Okay. Um then in the number 05 is David Smith from Sydney, British Columbia, driving the uh, Shockwave Marine Suspension Seating Toyota for his uh, team. And David Fugge is the crew chief. 
Okay, right. I think that's we covered everybody that's going to be racing uh, in this weekend's event. Uh, but there's a second event that's taking place, and that is for the Arkham Menard Series. They're racing at Salem Speedway uh, this weekend. Uh, it is the Earth Snacks 200 on Saturday, October the 1st at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, this one will be available on MAP-TV and Flow Racing. Radio coverage, again, will be on ArcaRacing.com. And this is a .555-mile paved oval. They'll be racing for 200 laps. Saturday, October 1st, they will have a practice from 1230 to 115. Qualifying will take place at 2 p.m. Eastern, and the race again at four, around 419 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, we've got some drivers to watch in this race as well. Well, and you definitely want to watch this one as the battle for the 2022 Arkham Nard Series Championship is between Nick Sanchez and Daniel Dye, now down to the pendulum race of the season as the series invades the Indiana Salem Speedway, mentioned this Saturday, for the Her Snacks 200. Yeah, it's going to be the 19th event. It'll be uh, also the 106th visit by the uh, the 106th visit by the series to that track, and the 19th race on this season's 20 race schedule. Now, entering Saturday's race, Sanchez holds a narrow five point advantage over Die in the Arkham and Art Series standings. Sanchez has one previous start at Salem which ended with a 17th-place finish after he crashed last year. Now, Dye has not yet raced at Salem in the Arkham Art Series, so this will be his debut on the historic track. And going back in history, the Arkham Art Series made its debut at Salem in 1955. That was when Jack Harrison drove to victory lane. Several notable names that have won races in the Arca competition at Salem in the year since they include Nelson Stacy, Jack Bosher, Benny Parsons, Iggy Katona, Ramo Stott, Bobby Allison, Bob Keselowski, Frank Kimmel, Ken Schrader, Justin Algar, Chris Busher, Alex Bowman, Grant Infinger, Christopher Bell, uh, Ty Gibbs, and then most recently, Jesse Love. Okay. Uh, now, what we're going to watch for in this race is Sanchez and Dai enter uh, the Earth's Next 200 in the midst of a dogfight for the championship. Sanchez has three wins this year, and he's looking to pad his five-point advantage with a strong one on sat- Saturday. <clears throat> and Dai, who's winless in the Arkham Menard Series competition thus far this season, Enter Salem following a fifth-place finish in the most recent event at Bristol Motor Speedway back on September 15th. Uh, that, combined with Sanchez's 12th-place effort, allowed Dye to close that gap in the race for the championship. Now, both drivers will be contenders to win the Hair Snacks 200, but they're far from the only drivers looking to take home the trophy Saturday afternoon. That's right. Sammy Smith, the winningest driver in the Arkham Menard Series competition this year with four victories in the Kyle Busch Bush Motorsports number 18 Toyota, is looking to add another trophy, uh, this one from Salem, to his collection. 
Taylor Gray, a three-time Arkham and Art Series winner this year, is also entered for David Gilliland Racing. He's the defending Salem winner. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not the defending. It's, it's Jesse Love is the defending Salem winner, and he's back in the number 20 Toyota for Venturini Motorsports. And you also have Raja Karuth, who uh, continues to hunt for his first Arkham and Art Series victory. He could also be the driver to watch Saturday. Connor Jones is returning to Venturini Motorsports as well for his fourth Arkham and Art Series race of the season. And then series regular Tony Breidinger will once again pilot the number 25 for the Venturini team. Then there's also Will Kimmel from nearby Sellersburg, Indiana. He's returning to action at his home track in the Kimmel Racing number 69. It will be his 15th Arkham and Art Series start at uh, Salem, where he is the defending winner of the track's Halloween 200 event for Lucas Oil Grand American Stock Cars. Another one I know has got an article up at the main page there, Landon Huffman. Uh, recently locked up his first Hickory Motor Speedway late model stock car championship. He's slated to return to Arkham Menard Series competition for the first time since 2016. He'll be driving for team owner Jeff McClure. Okay, we'll go down the entry list and try to highlight those that we have not already mentioned again. I'm going to start within the number zero is Nate Muller from Lafayette, Ohio, driving the great railing.com Toyota for Wayne Peterson. Michael Peterson is on top of the pit box. Then there's Bryce Hagerberg, who will be in the number 10. He hails from West Fargo, North Dakota, driving the UTI, that's Universal Technical Institute Toyota, for Andy Hillenberg with Mike Schroof on top of the pit box. Um, Hillenberg likes to cover all bases. They got another number 11 Toyota be driven by Ed Pompa out of Ballston Spa, New York, with High Torque of New York and Double H Ranch sponsorship. Uh, it shows Hillenberg crew chief in that one. And then Michelle Hillenberg listed as the owner of the number 12 Ford, a racing for rescues machine, which is driver, driven by Zachary Tinkle out of Speedway, Indiana. And Dallas Frew will be the crew chief there. Okay, uh, let's see who have we not mentioned here. Amber Balkan will be back on track uh, again. She's been a regular this season, driving the number 30. She hails from Winnipeg, Manitoba. She'll be driving the Icon Ford for Rhett Jones Racing, and Mark Rhett will be on top of the pit box. And the number 35 is Greg Van Alts, one of our Fan for Racing guests here. He hails from Anderson, Indiana, driving the Seabay. CB fabricating Ford for his own race team, and Jim Long will be on top of the pit box. Another regular in the cell phone machine is a Brad Smith, driver of the number 48 Chevrolet, comes from Shelbyville Township, Michigan, with Coprea.com as the sponsorship, Jeff Smith as his crew chief, and then uh, Tim Monroe, and another Michelle Hillenberg of Ford, driving and I guess self-crew chiefing, the fast-track, high-performance driving machine. He comes out of Elmwood, Illinois. Also from uh, Morris, Illinois, is Alex Club driving the number three, Club Racing Ford for his own race team. Brian Club will be on top of the pit box, and Wayne Peterson will be on top of the pit box for his own number zero six team. 
driven by Tim Richmond from Ottawa, Illinois. He'll be driving that Circle Track Warehouse Toyota machine. All right, so uh, a lot of uh, racing again taking place this weekend out at uh, Salem Speedway and uh, All-American Speedway out in Roseville, California. And some championship battles definitely going to take shape there. (laughs) It definitely will. Okay, I'm going to move on over now to the... um, uh, I'm going to go to um, interview for tonight. We do have a media interview that is was with uh, during this week. I believe it was on Wednesday afternoon uh, that they talked. The media talked with Zane Smith, the driver of the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford. Uh, the length of this interview is actually about 12, well, almost 13 minutes, not quite 13 minutes. So we're going to listen to maybe seven or eight minutes of this, and then Jay and I will have some comments afterward. So I'm going to go ahead and get that started right now. Of course, Zane Smith is the defending NASCAR Truck Series champion, and he is also competing for a championship uh, for this season as well. He was the regular season champion uh, earlier this season. All right, joining us on our weekly Zoom call uh, this afternoon is Zane Smith, driver number 38. Loves travel stops, peak performance, Speedco, wearing a Speedco hat. We'll get them all in there, Zane. Uh, Ford F-150 as we head to Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Uh, and Zane, just kind of we were talking briefly about Talladega and just with the weather and Ian kind of coming in. Um, but how do you feel and how, do you, how are you looking towards this weekend, just maybe with a little bit of uncertainty? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I kind of approach it just like any race weekend, uh, to say the least, I guess, but, um, I don't know, I mean, I was, I was obviously really happy with our truck for the most part at Daytona, and, and Daytona went really good for us, I felt like I was able to take a, a push way better than what I have been able to in the past, and so, um, we didn't have the best speed, I wish we were better in a few areas with our truck, but, uh, we've made a few small changes. We won't be able to see those because there's no practice um, at Talladega, but uh, I've seen that we're most likely going to have rain, um, and I was kind of excited about that for qualifying-wise because I just seen I think I would start second, um, and my qualifying efforts at Daytona weren't great. So um, I... I don't know, though. We'll, we'll see. I don't know where we should qualify. Our changes we made may be really good, um, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's just time will tell, I guess, but there's no no doubt. I think we'll race good, and that's what matters. All right, we got some hands raised here, so let's uh, go to our media. Uh, why don't we kick it off with Bob? Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, Zane, have you guys figured out, are you going to, do you feel like you need to get some stage points, or do you feel like if he, if things get too crazy, will you give up stage points to make sure you get to the finish? Yeah, I mean, um, I've been going to on, on just uh, racing the whole time. Um, I've been wrecked uh, or involved in a wreck uh, everywhere in Talladega. I feel like I've been wrecked um, riding. 
and I've been wrecked a leading. Uh, so I wanted to race, but a few guys on my team are, are saying that they think we should ride, but um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's one of those deals where I want to race, and if you're going to be up there, then I feel like you take advantage of, of some stage points. But um, obviously you just kind of read read who's around you and, and how they're racing, and obviously if it's getting too much, um, then I, I think you need to get out of it. And, uh, we're, we're above the bubble by uh, 21 points right now, and so um, that's just something we need to um, keep in mind and keep track of where we're at with that. And um, I know there will be a, a few guys that will be really aggressive that are below the cut line, and um, I don't know. I mean, you just kind of need to watch them and, and how they're racing and hopefully not get involved in someone else's mess. And uh, there's been some chatter about David Gillen racing potentially changing manufacturers. If they do, and you guys need to bring a little bit more in-house as far as, you know, the hanging bodies and stuff, are you comfortable with what you guys can do at Front Row kind of on your own? Yeah, I mean, I I am. Um, I don't I don't know what is done and what um, is going to happen there, but um, I'm just mostly focused on on our group. Uh, but but no, I, I'm not not too uh, too concerned. I feel like the attention to detail is the best I've ever seen uh, with the group that we have on this 38 truck, and so um, that really matters in that department. So. Um, It'll be tough finding the right people, but uh, if that is the case, and um, but hopefully whatever the case is, uh, we know sooner or later to to know uh, whichever direction we need to move in. Thank you. All right, thanks, Bob. Let's go to Brendan Carroll. He was on the poll today, so Brendan, why don't you go ahead and ask your questions for Zane? Hey, Zane. So with Ford uh, having kind of a disadvantage with the amount of uh, trucks you guys have. Uh, to the other manufacturers, uh, what really is the kind of Ford plan, so to speak? Uh, yeah, I mean, we had our, our meeting yesterday of um, of just helping each other, and um, it's really hard to go into these races just with a set plan, and um, this is what we're going to do. Typically, when that happens, um, I think everything possible uh bad things uh, to mess up that plan happen. So um, I know the 17 truck is chasing an owner's championship, and so um, I don't know how much below he is, but um, I'm sure he's going to be aggressive. And um, and then uh, the one and the 15 will uh, hopefully help with, with some stage points, whether that's help us push and, um, and get some or uh, take away stage points from others. And so... Uh, we'll see. I know um, Parker and I worked to worked well together at Daytona, and um, uh, I worked with Grant some and on uh, some super speedway stuff. And uh, it's I don't know. I feel like in the beginning, um, chasing stage points. Yeah, there's manufacturer help that that people work together with, but towards the end, I, I feel like it just becomes um, all for themselves and. And, uh, and whoever lines up behind you on restarts, and um, especially now that it's in the round of eight, and if you win, you get into the round of four. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's low numbers in the Ford camp, but 
um, there it, it didn't affect us too much at Daytona, so not too worried about it. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, thanks, Brendan. Let's go to Matt Weaver. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Hey, Zane. Thanks for taking time today. Um, you say you're going to race, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But have you developed running the, the super speedway races, kind of a sixth sense of knowing, hey, things are getting dangerous. This is when I should back out. Like, do you have a good sense of when that's coming, and, and what is that like? Yeah, I don't know if um, I get lucky just with, with reading other other trucks around me, but um, at Talladega, I don't have a great track record about that. But um, in most situations, I feel like I've I've read those situations actually very well and, and gotten lucky with that. And so um, I don't know. I feel like some of that is kind of uh, spotter related too. With uh, I think I have probably the best spotter um, up there with Josh Williams and. And he's great at reading those situations. I mean, you see it on Sunday, too, with, with uh, Ryan always being up there. So um, I'm just super confident in, in the group I have around me. And um, I now have more experience. And now, fortunately, a, a race win on a super speedway. So that just gives confidence. Um, I've just been on every side of, of situations, I feel like, uh, on a super speedway in a truck. And so... Um, I don't know what Talladega will bring. I don't think anyone knows, but uh, we'll do our best and, and hopefully come out okay and um, and go to Homestead still above the bubble. Okay. A lot, lot in that interview with kind of the unpredictability of Talladega and his playoff uh, strategy and, and uh, uh, adapting to changes that are happening around him. What are your thoughts, Jay? You mentioned it earlier already. Talladega is such a wild card, and that goes throughout the race. We've seen uh, teams, manufacturers have a game plan going in, but it's fluid because uh, so much can change in a heartbeat. And then when he talked about uh, being able to read of when that time comes just throughout the race, maybe you need to get out of the storm, um, I like the fact that he said, hey, that's not just me. Uh, Yeah, you get a sense to it, but – your spotters, your team is helping you. Uh, they can see more than you can around you as well. So the entire team effort when it comes to that, especially, like I said, at a super speedway. So very important that he has that trust in his spotter. Um, he's going to take his advice uh, a lot more than his own maybe even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually admitted that uh, he really, his sixth sense doesn't really work that well at, at Talladega, so that relying on his spotter is super important, and Talladega is so big. Sometimes you have more than one spotter at a track like Talladega, Jay. The other, the other thing I, that, that with that of taking from that is, again, with the, the points. I mean, a driver wants to race, a driver wants to win, but they're aware of their situation. So he said that, too, can develop throughout the race. Uh, if you know that some of your competitors have dropped out, you don't have to uh, be up there and, and get all those points and win the race. You might try and take it a little easier, but also then if they're running well, you know you're, you're kind of falling behind of pushing harder. Um, that can change throughout the race as well as you're racing. So uh, a lot going on, especially, and this is the middle race, uh, one driver only locked in so far. 
So keeping all that balanced as well as racing and then feeling the, the vibe of the pack you're running with, a uh, lot goes into these super speedway races. It definitely does. And, and um, he obviously has uh, figured some things out. Uh, being a past champion, uh, you know, this, he's defending his championship this year and uh, doing so well in the regular season as well. So, uh, but no matter how good you are, anything can happen at Talladega. Uh, so this is always kind of a unpredictable thing for all of the drivers uh, that enter this race this weekend. But you're right, that faith that they have in their team and their spotters uh, really does make a big difference. And not just that, uh, needing teammates out there on the track as well and people that can help support you on a, on a track like Talladega. Yeah, he certainly mentioned that, and that's true. Uh, whether it be a true teammate or somebody during the race you develop a relationship with that you've worked really well with um, for whatever reason, uh, trust or the way the trucks match up, doesn't matter. Yeah, you end up with a partner. You have to have the partner at some point. Um, sometimes it's not even a manufacturer partner. Uh, I know they frown on that, but you know that if that's what it takes to go to the front and win, that's what you got to do. Yep, yep, that is exactly right. So we'll definitely look forward to uh, watching Zane Smith this weekend. Uh, he's probably one of the favorites. Uh, going into this weekend, along with some other drivers, and uh, we'll kind of get into that when we do our preview. Uh, we are a couple minutes early here with that, but uh, I think uh, we can still uh, get into our preview. And, well, I got, uh, I got a question for you, Sharon. Sure. Something that uh, came up there, and I guess I hadn't heard a whole lot about it, and I was going to look and see before Hot Topics. Switching manufacturer, David Gillen Racing just recently had gone to Ford and kind of been become Ford's developmental pipeline. And I don't mm-hmm. know if with Toyota losing uh, KBM, if that's kind of when that sparked off. Uh, that was kind of new to me. Yeah, that that was uh, kind of new to me as well, that uh, David Gilliland is also changing sponsors. Uh, and that's something that may have been announced this weekend, or not sponsors, I mean manufacturers. Uh, that may have possibility happened. of it anyway. Yeah, there's the possibility of it. So we'll have to wait and see if that does come to pass, or if, I don't know if there was an announcement that I missed this week. I'm not sure. But... Um, uh, we'll definitely have to uh, look into that uh, because that would be huge as it relates to Ford. That's one more team that's kind of jumped ship and moved to a different manufacturer. But it's kind of interesting to me uh, that it's Toyota that they would be uh, switching to and uh, going into that pipeline now because uh, Chevrolet seems to be yeah. the preferred team. Manufacturer right now. Well, and that's why I said that's why I said I hadn't even heard anything a uh, real rumbling about that. So I was wondering if you had. So we will have to see what develops there. It might just be talks at this point. Um, and I say, being that KBM is leaving Toyota, that would be the logical if they're trying to recruit. Yep, that's true. Okay, let's go ahead and get into our uh, Camping World Truck Series uh, preview at Talladega. They'll be racing the Chevy. Silverado 250 on Saturday, October the 1st 
at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse for that race is 806669 It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 12 p.m. Eastern, along with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 250.04 miles over 94 laps. So the first two stages are 20 laps apiece. So stage one ends on lap two on lap 40. And then the final stage is 54 laps, ending on lap 94. So uh, we have some news here in the Camping World Truck Series of uh, drivers that will be joining the entry list this week. And the first one is a career debut, Camping World Truck Series career debut, Natalie Parker Retzlaff. It's been Young's Motorsports has tapped the driver Parker Retzlaff. He'll pilot the number 20 Chevrolet this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. He'll join uh, crew chief uh, Andrew Abbott on the box as he'll attempt to make his first career Camping World Truck Series start. And Retzlaff will look to become the 16th different driver to make his series career debut at Talladega and the first in the series at the 2.66 mile track since Vinnie Miller back in 2017. Okay. Uh, this will be a familiar name returning to Talladega this weekend, and that's Natalie Decker. She's the highest finishing female in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series with her fifth place finish at Daytona in 2020. Well, she's set to get behind the wheel of the number 43 this weekend for Rayum Brothers Racing, and uh, she's definitely looking forward to that. She has made 32 career truck series starts and posted one top five and one top ten finish. She did make her series track debut at Talladega in 2019, and in that race she started 19th and she finished in 16th place. Well, we talked about it. The question at Talladega is who is next? Six different winners in as many races at Talladega. As we head into this weekend at the Super Speedway, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, riding a streak of different winners at the 2.66-mile track. That dates back to 2016 with six different winners in those last six races. So who is next? Now, we do have five former Talladega Truck Series winners entered this weekend. Uh, Parker Kligerman has two wins, Johnny Sauter, Grant Infinger, Tate Fogelman, and Spencer Boyd, who each have one win. Okay. Yeah, now we'll uh, take a look at the uh, playoff field for Talladega. Uh, we'll, let's start from the bottom up and go two by two, Jay. All right. Okay, let's Ben see, uh, Rhodes is going to take up his fi- He takes up the final playoff spot with 3,043 points. He has six starts at Talladega with one top five and one top ten finish. Grant Infinger is seventh. He has 3,046 points, three points more than Rhodes. At, uh, at the Alabama track, he has eight starts with one win in 2016 and two top fives along with three top tens. Above that is Christian Eckes in the sixth spot in the rankings. He's got the next playoff race. He enters with 3,048 points, two up over uh, Enfinger. 
He's had one stint at Talladega Super Speedway and finished in the 18th position. In the middle there, fifth spot, is John Hunter Nemechek. He's accumulated 3,052 points. He's four more up in six starts at Talladega. He's posted one top five and two top tens. Okay, our next two drivers are Stuart Friesen. He comes in the next race uh, in fourth place at 3,061 points. That's nine points above uh, John Hunter. He has five starts at the track with one top five and two top ten finishes. With 3,073 points, uh, 12 points up, is Zane Smith. He has given the uh, Talladega Super Speedway a go twice. He finished 33rd in both races. And the final two. And the other Smith. Yeah, the other Smith, three more points up, second in the standings, is Chandler Smith. Now, he has two starts at Talladega with one top five and one top ten finish. And then currently ranked first is Ty Majeski. He's got a total of 3,053 points heading into the Truck Series race next week at Talladega Super Speedway. It'll be his first start at the Alabama track. If you heard those points, I didn't say it wrong, 3,053. Less points, but he's got a victory. He is locked into the next round. That's right. <laughs> he is locked in. Now, the drivers that uh, are on the outside looking in and they're on the playoff bubble include John Hunter Nemechek, Christian Eckes, Grant Infinger, and Ben Rhodes um, outside uh, the Champ 4 cut line. I think I said Zane Smith was the defending champion. I, I guess it's Ben Rhodes, isn't it? That's uh, yeah, Ben champion. Rhodes is the defending champion. Yeah, why was I thinking it was Zane Smith? Okay, I think he's finished twice second, in second place twice. So <laughs> Yeah, you might not want to bring that one. up with him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, now we're looking at the standings for this final, for the round of eight uh, with the opener at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, the postseason competitors are tasked with trying to make the championship four round with now just two races to go. Thorsport Racing's Ty Majeski, as we mentioned earlier, won at Bristol two weeks ago, so he's clinched his spot into that Final Four round, that, but that still leaves three spots up for grabs. So Hallmark Friesen's uh, Stuart Friesen is currently ranked in fourth in the, in the fourth and final transfer spot on points for the championship round. He's up nine points on Kyle Busch Motorsports driver John Hunter Nemechek, who is fifth. That's the first spot outside the cutoff line. Now behind Nemechek is Thorsport Racing Christian Eckes, who's back 13 points. And then GMS Racing's Grant Infinger in seventh. Uh, he's back 15 points. And then Thorsport Racing's driver, the 2021 series champion is Ben Rhodes, who sits in eighth place at 18 points back. So those guys uh, need to go out there and try to get that win at Talladega. They will have one more chance at Homestead, Miami in, in another week or so. Um, I think Zane Smith was the regular season champion this year, though, right? <laughs> that was That is true, yes. Yeah, he did come in as the regular season champion. Okay. When, when we look look at those three spots up for grab at the wild card Talladega super speedway race mentioned Ty Majeski made his trip to victory lane in the first race in the camping world truck series round of eight. So now drivers have just those two opportunities. 
set at Talladega and Homestead, Miami, to claim their spots in the championship round of four to join him. Uh, plus, don't forget, at least one driver will make the championship four round on points, which makes each finish in the final two races even that much more imperative. So, Ty Majeski is clinched. Others that can clinch via points. Uh, right now, if there's a repeat winner or win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, Drivers had clinched by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. Uh, the same requirements would be hold true if a new win comes from among Chandler or Zane Smith. Now, both of those two can only clinch with help. Um, if there's a new winner from Stuart Friesen or another winless driver lower in the standings, but eligible to advance to the next round, then only Chandler Smith would be able to do it, and he would need help. Uh, the simplest way to clinch the win, all seven of them remaining, all they got to do is win the race. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and when they say with help, that means the people above them have to have a bad day, and they have to have a really good day. <laughs> so That's right. Okay, let's talk about Thor Sport Racing's Ty Majeski. Uh He's sitting pretty in Dega. Not only did Thor Sport Racing's Ty, Deg- Ty Majeski <laughs> Score his first National Series victory two weeks ago at Bristol, but he also claimed his first berth into the championship four round, and he said that is set to take place at Phoenix Raceway uh, with the championship season finale on November the 4th. Now the Wisconsin native heads to Talladega Super Speedway uh, this weekend, but he's the only one that's going to get to breathe easy as he's the only postseason competitor locked into the next round. So the Talladega Super Speedway race again is on October the 1st, and it will be the first time that Majeski takes on the 2.66-mile track in the truck series. Although this will be a new track for him, he has proven that he knows his way around to Super Speedway. In February, the season opener at Daytona, he won the pole and ultimately finished in the seventh position. So don't let the fact that this is his debut at Talladega think that uh, he's not going to do well. And all of this leads up to the headline of the Camping World Truck Series playoffs. They're preparing for this wild Talladega race. Uh, They've had a week to regroup and go over their strategy as the Camping World Series kicks off a triple header weekend at Talladega Super Speedway with its Chevrolet Silverado 250 on Saturday. Now, the Super Speedway has participated in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs since its inception into the series in 2016. The 2022 season marks the second time that Talladega has hosted the fifth race of the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs, uh, both in 2021 and 2022, and now becomes a third different track to occupy the spot, joining Texas Motor Speedway, who did it in, had it in 2016, 17, and 18, and then 2020. Martinsville had it in 2019. This is the third different spot on the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff schedule for Talladega Super Speedway. Um, it's from 2016 and 18 and 2020, and the, the track played host to the third playoff race, which was the elimination of the first round, and then in 2019, it hosted the fourth race of the postseason schedule. Uh, this season, it is back to hosting the fifth spot. 
On the 2.66-mile Super Speedway, I hosted a total of 16 Camping World Truck Series races, produced 11 different race winners and 14 different pole winners. The series last raced on Talladega in the 2021 postseason, where fans saw Tate Fogelman make the trip to victory lane. So on par with the craziness that comes with racing on super speedways, all six playoff previous playoff races at Talladega Super Speedway have been won by a non-playoff driver. Mentioned Talladega or Tate Fogelman in 2021, Raphael Lassard did it in 2020, uh, Spencer Boyd was the 2019 winner, Timothy Peters in the return did it in 2018, Parker Kligerman in 2017. And then Grant Enfinger was your 2016 winner. Okay, drivers will kick off their fifth playoff weekend with qualifying at 3.30 p.m. on Friday, September the 30th. And qualifying for the Truck Series will not be broadcast this weekend. So you'll have to watch for those results. Uh, through the media, but uh, that will be taking place on Friday, September the 30th. Okay, Uh, a lot uh, to go over here with the Xfinity Series. They're also racing at Talladega this weekend in the Sparks 300 on Saturday, October the 1st. Their race will take place at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the purse is $1,653,281. Uh, USA will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 3.30 p.m. along with MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 300.58 miles over 113 laps. First two stages are 25 laps each with stage one ending on lap 25, stage two on lap 50, and then the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 113 for 63 laps. Now, Talladega is a place of first. A driver's first win is always exciting, but to win on the iconic track like Talladega is even more special. And only five drivers can claim that their first trip to victory lane was at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, Greg Sachs did it in 1996. In 2009, David Reagan did. Justin Haley was the winner in 2020. 2021, that was Jeb Burton, as well as Brandon Brown in the fall race of 2021. Now, someone cannot claim the first, some cannot claim a first win at the track, but they can flaunt the first pole. Uh, Bill Elliott did it in 1993. Johnny Sauter in 20, 2002, Clint Boyer in 04, uh, Brad Coleman did it in 07, Travis Pastrana in 2013, Matt Tift in 2016, Blake Cook in 2017, it was Michael Annette in 2019, and then Jeffrey Earnhardt in 2022. Okay. Uh, now there's a fabulous five <laughs> that goes for Gregson. He had an unprecedented fifth straight Xfinity Series win. At least he's going for that. Junior Motorsports superstar Noah Gregson not only claimed his seventh victory of the season last weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, but also his fourth victory in a row, tying Sam Ard's 1983 Xfinity Series record. 
Now the Las Vegas native has the opportunity to go for an unprecedented fifth straight win in the Xfinity Series this weekend at Talladega. Now prior to the race at Texas, Sam Ard was the only Xfinity Series driver to win four consecutive races, a feat that he accomplished in 1983. The following season in 84, he went on to once again manage wins in three back-to-back races. And the other drivers that have scored three consecutive wins in the Xfinity Series are Christopher Bell, Kyle Busch, Austin Sindrick, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Harry Gant, Mark Martin, Ryan Newman, and Larry Pearson. So uh, that's amazing. But now that uh, Gregson has tied the record for most consecutive wins at four, he now heads to Talladega Super Speedway in hopes of surpassing Sam Ard and holding the record for himself. And when a Talladega is within Gregson's reach, considering that he took the checkered flag when they last ran on the Alabama track earlier this season. In seven starts, he now has posted one win, three top fives, and five top tens. So Nor Gregson won to bet on in the Xfinity Series this weekend. Uh, most certainly one to, to watch for sure. And we'll scout the whole playoff field here at Talladega as in true Speedway fashion, Talladega has produced some of those wild, most unexpected races, uh, racing, and this weekend's Xfinity playoff race should be no different. When we look at the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff drivers, they range in experience at Talladega Speed, Super Speedway from vets to rookies. So we'll take a look here, and uh, we'll go two by two then again. I'll start at the bottom, Sharon. Yes, yeah. All right. Uh, so I'll start with Jeremy Clements. He's right now in the final playoff position at 12. And Clements goes into this weekend with 14 starts, one top five, and two top tens. Brandon Jones is currently in the 11th spot, and he comes into Talladega with nine starts, three of them being top fives and three of them being top tens. Okay, last year's Xfinity Series champ Daniel Hemrick holds the 10th playoff spot and has six starts. He has two top fives and two top tens at Talladega. Then it's Riley Earps coming in at ninth at the, in the playoff rankings. He has five starts at the Alabama Super Speedway with one top five and two top tens. Right now, with a smile on his face, I'm sure Ryan Sieg sits in the eighth spot in the playoffs heading into this weekend. He has a total of 11 starts at Talladega with three top fives and four top tens. Most recent finish at the track is fourth place. And Sam Mayer, he's heading to Dega, sitting in the seventh spot in the playoffs, with only two starts at the track, though, in 2021 and 2022. Both races uh, resulted in incidents, though, that left him 38th and 28th, respectively. Okay, next up we have Justin Allgauer. He sits sixth in the playoff ranking, and uh, he heads to Talladega with 14 starts. He has four top fives and seven top tens under his belt. Josh Berry, sitting in, ten, in fifth in the playoff standings, goes to Talladega with three starts and one top ten finish. Getting closer to the top of the top of the hill is Austin Hill. Is he right now is fourth in the playoff rankings. 
and Hill will be looking to redeem himself on the 2.66-mile track as both of his starts have resulted in crashes. However, Hill did win the season opener at Daytona. Then you got Ty Gibbs. He's right now third in the playoff rankings. He has one start at Talladega where he started in the third position but caught up in an incident on lap 76 and finished 35th. Okay. You did Austin Hill. How did we get off here? No, I did uh, Hill and uh, Ty Gibbs. You got the last two at the top. Oh, okay. Okay. Noah Gregson, or J.J. Amendinger, right now sits in second in the playoff standings. He has five starts with two top fives and three top tens. And his most recent finish at Talladega is a third place. Noah Gregson, he's already clinched into the round of eight, but he heads to Talladega with seven starts with one win in 22, that's earlier this year, three top fives and five top tens. So uh, there you have your playoff drivers. Uh, Let's look at the clinch scenarios, Jay. Yeah, as the playoff run continues, the Xfinity Series will be taking on the Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Eight of the 12 playoff drivers finished in the top ten at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend but it was only Noah Gregson who grabbed that win and secured his spot into the round of eight. So that leaves seven spots still up for grabs this weekend. As they continue their battle for the championship, the clinch scenarios right now, the only driver to have clinched is Noah Gregson. Clinching via via points, uh, that would be if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, They'd need 56 points above the seventh winless driver in the standings. The same would be required if the new win comes from A.J. Allmendinger, Ty Gibbs, Austin Hill, Josh Berry, Justin Algar, or Sam Mayer. And all the drivers, uh, Allmendinger, Gibbs, Hill, Berry, Algar, or Sam Mayer, can only do so with help. We mentioned that. Uh, they got to have a good run and somebody above them have a bad run in order to hit that points uh, mark. If there's a new winner from Ryan Sieg or another winless driver lower in the standings but eligible to advance, then it would still be 56 points but above the sixth winless driver, and that would put the list at Almendinger, Gibbs, Hill, Barrier, Allgaier, and they would all still need help. And as always, a win and you move on. So every driver is eligible for the win um, and moving on. Absolutely. Okay, let's set the stage for Talladega Super Speedway. They head to Alabama next for what is sure to produce some of the craziest racing this season. It's the second race of the Xfinity Series playoff round of 12, and it will take place this Saturday, October the 1st. Now, the Sparks 300 this weekend is the 34th Xfinity Series race at Talladega, and the previous 33 races have produced 27 different race winners and 22 different pole winners. Only three races have been won from the pole or the first starting spot. The last time it happened was in 2020 when Justin Haley won from the pole. Haley is also the youngest winner in series history at Talladega when he was 21 years, one month, and 23 days old. Joe Nemechek is known is a known name at Talladega. He currently sits uh, is sitting with the most races. He has 22 starts there, 
And in those 22 starts, he has five top tens and nine lead lap finishes. I'm sorry, let me say he has the most races at 22. His poles, he has five. Top tens, he has nine. The lead lap finishes, he has 14. And the laps completed are 2,153. Laps led are at 202. He's also tied with Joy Logano for the most top fives at seven. The only record he does not hold for most wins, which lies in the hands of Martin Truex Jr., and that is at three. The most recent race at Talladega was earlier this season when Noah Gregson took the victory over Jeffrey Earnhardt after starting from the 19th spot, and he won by a margin of victory of .131 seconds. It was a close one. Playoff drivers A.J. Allmendinger, Ryan Sieg, finished in third and fourth place, while Landon Castle rounded out the top five. Now, if Gregson once again makes that trip to Victory Lane this Saturday, he will become the third driver in the track's uh, Xfinity Series history to post back-to-back wins, joining Martin Truex, who won there from 2004, 5, and 6. Jason Haley had a 2020 sweep there, and he... Plus, he will be going for a NASCAR Xfinity Series unprecedented five consecutive victories as he tied Sam Ard's 1983 record of four straight wins with his victory last weekend at Texas. But Gregson is not the only former Talladega winner entered this weekend. The Las Vegas native is also joined by Jeff Burton and Brandon Brown. Now, the series will kick off their second playoff race of the season with qualifying this Friday, October the 1st, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on the USA Network, and it will be streamed on NBC, on the NBC Sports app as well. Okay, let me look at this. I think Friday is actually the 1st, I mean September 30th. Saturday is October 1st, so I'm not sure. I'm assuming that should be Saturday, October 1st. I think their qualifying should be on Friday, September 30th. Okay, then that should say September 30th. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) because the race race is on Saturday at 3 p.m. following the truck series. Okay. All right, we're going to move on to the uh, Cup Series. Uh, They always have a wealth of information for us. Uh, The NASCAR Cup Series will race the Yellowwood 500 out at Talladega Super Speedway on Sunday, October the 2nd. Uh, That time will be at 2 p.m. Eastern. Their purse is a hefty $8,338,881. NBC will cover the pre-race coverage starting at 1 p.m., Radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll race a distance of 500 miles over 188 laps. The first two stages are 60 laps apiece, with stage one ending on lap 60, stage two on lap 120, and the final stage will be 68 laps, ending on lap 188. So uh, with that, what do we have here in the Cup Series, Jay? Well, it starts with the uh, honorary starter for the Yellowwood 500, and that'll be Auburn head basketball coach 
Bruce Pearl. And the coach is gonna guided the, has guided the Tigers to over 150 wins in eight seasons, as well as the team's first ever appearance in the Final Four. And he'll serve as the honorary starter for Sunday, October 2nd's Yellowwood 500 NASCAR Cup Series playoff race there at Talladega Super Speedway. Okay, next we've got our matchups. We'll take a close look at the featured maps uh, matchups, and fans can place their bets heading into this weekend's event. Uh, you can go ahead and start with Bubba Wallace versus Chris Busher. Well, that certainly is an inter- interesting one, as we got Bubba Wallace versus Chris or Christopher Busher. Uh, this was a featured matchup <laughs> for the regular season finale at Daytona where both drivers had a chance to win their way into the playoffs. Although it didn't work out for Bubba Wallace and Chris Buescher uh, making it in, they've made their way the most of their season. Both Wallace and Buescher have won a race in the playoffs, although they aren't in the playoff field. Wallace won three weeks ago at Kansas, while Buescher won just two weeks ago at uh, Bristol. Now, they've also had good runs at super speedways. Busher was one of the Daytona won one of the Daytona duels before the Daytona 500, while Wallace won Talladega here last year and finished runner-up in this year's Daytona 500. So both drivers have the right, the talent to win their second race of the year this Sunday. So it'll be about having that little bit of luck and making the perfect move at the right time. They want to continue the streak of non-playoff drivers winning the playoff races. Okay, now they've got Alex Bowman listed here versus Christopher Bell. Uh, As I go through this, keep in mind that Alex Bowman is out of the 48 this weekend. Uh, Driving in his place will be Noah Gregson. Uh, So obviously that happened after uh, the news and notes came out. So uh, just kind of keep that in mind as I go through this. Uh, it wasn't the race they were looking off, looking for to start off the round of 12. Both Alex Bowman and Christopher Bell had trouble and failed to finish on the lead lap last weekend at Texas. They certainly have their work cut out for them if they want to reach the round of eight. Bell sits 25 points below the cut line, while Bowman sits 26 points behind. Uh, that means that Talladega will likely be a points race uh, for at least Bill Bell this weekend. Uh, as they will try to get to the front and stay in the front for most of the race. Uh, They'll want to rack up stage points and try to finish well, uh, and that will be paramount for both drivers as they look to make up for the poor week at Texas. Now, it's already been stated that Bowman will receive the waiver from NASCAR, provided that he can qualify his way in at the Charlotte Roval. So we've got another match up here, and both of these drivers will be racing this weekend. Not sure if this is a matchup on the track or in the garage area before or after, but we've got <laughs> Denny Hamlin versus William Byron. And Denny Hamlin may have added another name to his list of enemies last weekend at Texas. As him and William Byron got tangled up coming off out of a turn, causing Hamlin to get into Byron from the inside. Byron went up, made contact with the wall before conceding the position. But the tempers flared when Byron appeared to spin, appeared <laughs> to spin Hamlin under caution, uh, <laughs> resulting in Hamlin dropping from third to 22nd. Hamlin and crew chief Chris Gabert voiced their displeasure with the move, 
Hamlin said that he would get Byron back down the road. For these two playoff drivers fighting for a championship, it'll be interesting to see how they race each other at Talladega, where working together is very crucial. Yes, indeed. Uh, Those enemies are stacking up for Denny Hamlin, though. Okay, Tyler Reddick versus Austin Dillon. This was the fan vote. Who can forget Austin Dillon's win at Daytona to secure his spot into the playoffs this season? Well, Tyler Reddick helped push Austin Dillon to victory, ensuring that both Richard Childress racing cars got into the postseason. Unfortunately, both Reddick and Dillon are no longer in the playoffs. Even though Reddick got his third win of the season last week at Texas in the opening race of the round of 12. Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick have had RCR's best year in quite some time, combining for four wins for the first time since 2013. Even though they're not in the playoffs, Reddick and Dillon both want to finish the season strong amongst the uncertainties about what the next season is going to look like. So uh, some interesting matchups there. There certainly uh, are some interesting ones for sure. Uh, we got uh, Alabama native Bubba Wallace and NASCAR going to host a Bubba's Block Party. It'll be at the Railroad Park in downtown Birmingham Friday, September 30th. And NASCAR announced this week for plans for a community block party hosted by 2311's racing driver and Alabama native Bubba Wallace at the Railroad Park. It'll be downtown Birmingham Friday, September 30th. The event will precede the two days of NASCAR playoffs racing action at Talladega Super Speedway, culminating with Sunday, October 2nd, for the NASCAR Cup Series Yellowwood 500, which Wallace is the defending champion. Bubba's Block Party is a community-focused NASCAR initiative that aims to drive awareness, access, and engagement to the sport among the black community while generating excitement around the race weekend. This family-friendly event will be from 5 to 10 p.m. The free event will host uh, guests for hours of live music, games, and activities, as well as an assortment of food offerings. Wallace, uh, who comes from Mobile, made history in last year's Yellowwood 500 when he became the first black driver to win a NASCAR Cup Series race since 1963. He'll engage the audience as part of a fireside chat, which will focus on his career journey and the NASCAR efforts to promote drive, uh, promote diversity and inclusion across the sport. That's a wonderful, I like that. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool that they're doing it. Okay, the Cup Series has a playoff dozen at five of the 12-driver playoff field or former NASCAR Cup Series Talladega Super Speedway winners. Um now, the winners, uh, none of the 12 postseason contenders are locked into the round of eight, but we'll take a look at the playoff dozen and their NASCAR Cup Series stats at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, the race winner, uh, Joey Logano, is ranked first in 27 races. He's got three wins at that track, nine top fives, 11 top tens, and nine DNFs. He has an average finish of 17.5 with a driver rating of 90.4. In second place is Ross Chastain with seven races. He's got the one win, a one top five, one top ten. He has an average finish of 19.6 and a driver rating of 58.0. 
Kyle Larson has not won at the track, but he has raced 15 races with one top five and three top tens and five DNFs. His average finish is 23.1, and his driver rating is 76.0. Ryan Blaney has two wins at the track and 16 starts, along with three top fives, five top tens, four DNFs. His average finish is 16.9 and driver rating in 91.1. Denny Hamlin has 33 starts at Talladega with two wins, nine top fives, 14 top tens, five DNFs. His driver rating is at 83.5. His average finish is the same as Blaney's at 16.9. Then there's Daniel Suarez in sixth with 11 starts. He has one top 10 in four DNFs with an average finish of 22.1 and a driver rating of 66.2. Chase Elliott, also a previous winner, has 13 starts, two poles, one win, four top fives, six top tens, and three DNFs. His average finish is a hefty 15.2, and his average driver rating closest to uh, Joey Logano is 89.3. Chase Briscoe is eighth with uh, three starts. He has one DNF in those three starts, an average finish of 20.7, and his driver rating is 57.3. Austin Sendrick has one race uh, at the track. He has an average finish of 21.0, an average driver rating at 57.9. Then there's what William Byron in 10th. Nine starts at the track with two top fives and two top tens, three DNFs with a 19.0 start average finish and an 85.4 driver rating. Christopher Bell in the 11th has five races with one pole, no wins, but he does have one top five, one top ten, and one DNF. Uh, he has an average finish of 22.4 with a driver rating of 73.7. And in 12th place is Alex Bowman. Uh, right now he has 14 starts there with one top four tens and six DNFs, 24.4 for the average finish and 74.2 for his driver rating. But it will be Noah Gregson behind the wheel of that 48 car this weekend. We'll take a with a, those stats. Take a look at the driver out, driver's playoff outlook following race number thirty at Texas Motor Speedway. Now, Joey Logano, currently your points leader at three thousand seventy one, has two race wins and five stage wins for twenty five playoff points, setting him up at thirty seven above the cut line. Ross Chastain is at three thousand fifty nine. He also has two wins and five stage wins for twenty points. Why would they not be the same? Uh, he's 25 points above the cut line. Kyle Larson at 3,057 has two race wins and four stage wins. Also uh, 20 playoff points built up. Right now, 23 points above the cut line. Fourth is Ryan Blaney at 3,056. Has six stage wins and 14 playoff points. Puts him 22 above the cut line right now. Denny Hamlin at 3,049 has two victories and three stage wins, 13 points built up. Right now sits 15 above the cut line. Sixth and seventh are tied 11 above the cut line. Daniel Suarez at 
Chase Elliott at 3,045. Suarez has one win and two stage wins for a total of seven points. Chase Elliott, if he gets the chance to reset, four wins in five stages gives him 40 points. And he needs him right now. Again, only 11 above the cut line. Briscoe at 3,041 with one win and four stage wins. Nine points uh, in his bucket. Right now, the final spot is seven points to the good. Below the line, Austin Sindrick at 3,034. Has one win and one stage for six points. He's seven below. William Byron is eight below at 3,033, but does have two wins, four stages for 15 points. And Christopher Bell, one win, four stages for 13 points, is 25 back. And Alex Bowman at 3,015, one win, two stages for seven points, is 26 back. And we know he's not going to be racing this weekend, so that's going to go up where he'll be in a definite must-win at the Roval if he can get in. And Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick were the four eliminated, so they'll still be battling trying to work their way up to fourth or fifth place at best. Now it's Team Penske's Austin Sindrick, 3,034, and ninth place in the Outlook standings. That's the first position outside the round of eight cutoff. Is seven points back from Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe in eighth. His lone win came in the season opener at Daytona 500. The rookie has found success on super speedways. But a few headwinds to work through as this is his first appearance at the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs and just his second career cup start at Talladega. He made his series track debut at the 2.66-mile track earlier this season, started 18th, and finished 21st. A Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron at 3,033, he was issued a 25 a penalty of 25 driver points for his contact with the number 11 car driven by Denny Hamlin under caution at Texas last weekend. Now the North Carolina native sits 10th in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs standings at eight points back from the round of eight cutoff. Byron is looking to advance out of the round of 12 for the first time in his career. In nine starts at Talladega, he has put up two top fives and an average finish in 19.0. I want to throw in there, they do have an appeal on that, so that may change. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Christopher Bell at 3,016 is 11th, 29 points back from the round of eight cutoff after finishing 34th at Texas Motor Speedway. With a strong start to the playoffs with three top fives in the first three races, Bell skidded out in Texas, now trying to advance for the round of 12 for the first time in his career. The Oklahoma native has made five starts at Talladega, posting a one-top-five finish. I mentioned Alex Bowman at 3,015. He's in that 12th and final transfer spot uh, following a 29th-place finish at Texas. And the Arizona native is already 30 points uh, back, but he won't be racing at Talladega. Um, where he had yet to win but posted a best finish, a runner-up, back in April of 2019. In his 14 cup starts, he's posted one top five and four top tens. And it would have been, if he still could advance it from the Roval, um, that would be his second career advancement out of the round of 12. He did it again back in 2020. Okay, I'm going to see if I can uh, kind of do a Reader's Digest version of what we have left here. Uh, Playoff race winners since 2004. 
uh, include Bubba Wallace, who is 22nd in points, Danny Hamlin, who is 2nd in points, uh, Ryan Blaney. This starts at uh, 2021, and these are all October races. So Bubba Wallace won in 2021, then it was Denny Hamlin in 2020. Ryan Blaney in 19 was 12th in points. Eric Almarola was 9th in points in 2018. Brad Keselowski, 10th in points in 2017. Joy Logano, 8th in points in 2016. Again, Joy Logano clinched in on a win in 2015. And Brad Keselowski was 10th in points in 2014. Uh, so rookie Austin Sindrick, William Byron, Christopher Bell, and Alex Bowman uh, are below that cut line as they head into the playoffs this weekend. They all need that win. Uh, and we know that Talladega can be unpredictable. Uh, no driver has clinched their spot into the next round. That's because there have been all non-playoff winners uh, that have been winning here in the Cup Series. So uh, via points, <clears throat> uh, they need uh, the drivers need to be 56 points above the eighth winless driver in the standings, uh, and also that's also true. If uh, a new win comes from among Joey Logano, Chastain, Larson, Blaney, Hamlin, Suarez, or Chase Elliott, those are the same drivers uh, on that scenario. If there's a new winner from Chase Briscoe or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next rounds, they'll need 56 points above the seventh winner's winless driver. That's Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, and Daniel Suarez. And, of course, all of those drivers can win if they get a win. Um, uh, active race winners this year, uh, Brad Kesla, uh, racing this year, Brad Keselowski has six wins, uh, Joy Logano with three, Denny Hamlin with two, along with Ryan Blaney with two. Drivers with one win, Dating from 2008 to 22 are Ross Chastain, Bubba Wallace, Chase Elliott, Eric Malmarola, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch. Poll winners that are active this weekend include Chase Elliott with two and Kevin Harvick with two, Christopher Bell, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Martin Truex Jr., all with one. We are... Beyond our time to start NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and so we're going to go ahead and get started with that, and uh, we'll bring into the queue our Fan for Racing crew members. Uh, we'll start with Andy Lasky, uh, who is joining us tonight. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, that's two consecutive shows in a row, so uh, we're, we're on a bit of a hot streak here. I like it. Also joining us for tonight's show is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, all You know, it's really great that we got two in a row with the whole crew here. Standard time is Thursday night. It is, it is 10 p.m. Eastern time if you haven't done it already. Set your DVR. You Race for the Championship is on. Featured drivers this week, I believe Daniel Suarez, Kyle Busch, and Ross Chastain. And the featured race is the Springs Coke 600, who was an excellent race. Race for the championship. Watch it as soon as we're done with the show tonight. Okay. Thank you for the reminder, Mike. Okay. I, need, I needed it. I'm that. setting mine to record. Yeah, I set mine, too, while he was talking. 
Um, okay, so uh, let's go ahead and get started with our hot topics. Andy, you can go ahead and kick us off. All right. Um, yeah, some disappointing news today. Alex Bowman uh, will miss Talladega due to experiencing concussion-like symptoms. Um, obviously pretty disappointing to hear that, everyone. Uh, obviously um, we'll have some interesting thoughts on this, so what do you think? Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, first off, I'm glad that uh, Alex Bowman uh, went into the doctor and got checked and has made that decision, uh, I'm sure with uh, along with doctors, but to, to step out of the car for this weekend, uh, playoffs aside, health is most important, as we mentioned with Kurt Busch. Uh, it's very unfortunate, and looking back, I watched it on uh, NASCAR Race Hub this afternoon. I didn't get to fully hear Brad Keselowski's talking about it. I understand there are some concerns with this car, but I'm not sure it's completely on the car. Uh, they were talking about the way drivers have to uh, handle a crash, uh, if that's how you want to put it, and how they brace for it. Obviously, the car is different. We've talked about that, that this car can take the hit and kick and uh, not be completely damaged and out of the race. And I think it was Mike that talked about this last week. So now the car takes the hit and doesn't take as much damage. That energy is going somewhere, and it appears that it's going through the driver. So whether it's changing the seat, how they sit in the seat, uh, whether we need something additional such as the Hans device, uh, I think there's a lot of things to look at. What I don't like to see is everybody saying NASCAR is hiding something and not doing anything about it. Uh, That is so untrue. Yes, NASCAR said they didn't see this in preseason testing. But they don't. That's not saying they don't uh, agree with the drivers and are doing something about it now. They're just saying we didn't fix it before it became a problem because we didn't have the data that showed it. So I, Andy Petrie, I know said there are already things in pro- a process of making changes. Uh, safety is still a major priority to NASCAR, and I don't like when people say that they don't care about their drivers or they got to wait until something even worse happens. Okay, uh, Mike. All right, I've got. It's kind of, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying not to get too heated about this, but we've talked about the Gen Seven car before, and there's been a lot of positives. We've seen more parity than we've ever seen. 19 different winners so far in the season, and a level of parity that we have not seen in, in probably the entire history of the NASCAR Cup Series, but. The dark side of it is we have two drivers out now with concussions, and that's just diagnosed concussions. Don't forget we've also had drivers like Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe, and others talking about persistent head injury-type symptoms such as persistent ear ringing, headaches, and whatnot from the injury or from impacts with this car. There is something wrong with this car, and we can't just say, oh, we test it and we don't see the data, or we can't blame it on drivers who can't take a hit or anything like that. There's something wrong with this car and it has to be addressed and it has to be addressed now. And I know Jay says he doesn't want to buy into the conspiracy theory of NASCAR knew about this and ignored it, but it was written off. There was a lot of 
kind of, like you said, rumors and whatnot that this car did not do well in crash testing. And that was written off as, well, this, that's just a conspiracy. The official version of this, this car tests well. We've tested it. It crashes well. It's the safest car we've ever had. And that's clearly not the case. There's something wrong here. And it can't be denied. It can't be ignored. It can't be, oh, we're going to look into it in the off season. There's something wrong with this car. And we can't have drivers continue to get hurt by this car. The solution, I don't know. But at this point, I don't know that I'm, I'm comfortable putting drivers in this car anymore until we know why these injuries are happening. I, I don't know that ever, and I've watched this sport for over 20 years, I don't know that I've ever seen a season where more drivers complain about head injuries and are out with head injuries than I have this season. And going back to the testing data, there was a lot of rumors last summer about this car failing crash test data. And even Denny Hamlin commented on he asked for details about it and didn't really get the answers he was looking for. And at this point, with the results that we've seen with drivers actually real-world injured in this car, it comes down to one of two possible conclusions. Either one, the testing was inadequate and they weren't able to detect the problems that manifested in the car in race conditions that we've seen so far this year, or two, and this is really bad, they knew about it and they choose to continue knowing that this car had some safety concerns. Either way, there has to be something done with this car. And I understand there's only six races left in the season, but are we comfortable going six races, first of these six being Talladega, and say, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with this car. Let's continue to the offseason. I don't think that the parity and the competition that we've seen is worth drivers being potentially hurt having life-changing injuries or even killed because of this car. I'm really concerned about this. I agree. I'm concerned about it as well. And I think everybody is concerned about drivers that are experiencing concussion-like symptoms and concussions that are keeping them out of the race car. Nobody wants to see that happening to any of these drivers. Nobody. Um, Including NASCAR. And With that in mind, I find it hard to believe that they would hide information. I think what's happened here, and, you know, just based on what I've read, uh, a lot of this testing was taking place during COVID uh, situations, and they were able to do a couple of tests, I think, with um, real racetracks, drivers getting in the car and racing on those racetracks. One of them was Talladega Super Speedway, um, and uh, that's where all of these theories about the crash dummy kind of came out of. Um, But what NASCAR did is they also did some virtual testing. So by virtual testing, I mean that they were not able to actually go to the track, so they did computer-generated testing uh, of the tracks and tried to gather some data from that. Obviously, the data that they gathered uh, was not up to par with what the drivers are experiencing in the car. Never uh, is a crash acceptable where the driver uh, is leaving, having to have therapy or anything else. I wish that NASCAR could implement some of these changes more quickly. Um, The problem with that, 
And I think all of us wish that that could happen. The problem with that is logistically it's not always possible to make these kind of changes on a dime. Um, I'm, and I'm not even sure if they know exactly what changes they need to make in order to make those cars safer for the drivers. Um, but I did see the uh, video from Andy Petrie. He's been a part of the industry group that is working on uh, things that have happened throughout this season and what they can do differently. This is in the driver's hands. Sometimes when things like this happen, and it doesn't happen often, but this is a new car again, and I'm not making excuses for NASCAR, but given the situation and what it is right now, I think the drivers need to adapt. And one of the easiest things they can do to adapt is to follow the PSI that's recommended by Goodyear. The drivers that had issues at Bristol and at Texas were drivers that were pushing the limits with the PSI on those tires. So if they go within the recommended limits that they're given, then I don't think they'll have those problems. Is it going to avoid a wreck, especially at a track like Talladega? Probably not, because we all know that wrecks happen for a multitude of reasons. But that is one thing that the drivers can adapt to that can help the situation in the short term. Um, the other thing is drivers are going into this race knowing that drivers are getting hurt when there are crashes. So maybe they need to be just a little bit less aggressive. Do, do I want them to race like that all the time? No. Is this a unique situation? It absolutely is a unique situation. And until NASCAR can come up with that solution and the industry group that's working on this, I think the drivers need to make some need to adapt a little bit. I know that that is a tall order for a track like Talladega during the playoffs. I know it's a tall order to ask for the last six races of the season. But would you rather adapt or do you want to put yourself at risk and give yourself a head injury? I think the drivers would rather adapt. I'm hoping the drivers would rather adapt than to put themselves at risk in the car. The other option is to refuse to drive. Opt out of racing for the next six races if you feel that strongly about it. And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not trying to to alleviate or I'm not trying to take NASCAR's side or anything else. I'm I'm simply saying those are the options that are available. So the drivers have to decide, the teams have to decide how they want to adapt or how they want to move forward, and those are the options that they have. I, I don't think that there's any conspiracy theory here. I do think that their, the data that they have might not have been adequate, uh, probably was not adequate, in determining the impact to a driver, a physical human being, sitting in that car versus a dummy or a robot. So I, I do think that NASCAR needs to come up with a solution. I do have confidence that they are working on that. 
and it is going to take the drivers being involved, and I think that they're doing that. But to, you know, put all of this blame on NASCAR, it can't all be put on NASCAR. There are others that are involved here that sometimes get ignored when people are looking at the big picture. Um, I'm not sure that everybody's looking at all of the variables that are involved here. But I do think that there are things that can be done to adapt to the situation, and everybody has a part in that. Andy? So I think uh, Jay brought up a pretty important point uh, about the car, and I think we may have discussed this on uh, the most recent show, is is its rigidity. And, and obviously um, they built a durable car, you know, more durable mm-hmm. – than recent iterations of a Cup Series car. Um, and, and when that happens, though, and I think what we've seen quite a bit this season is it, it's rigid enough that when it takes a hard hit, the car visibly doesn't appear to be that damaged, but the energy goes somewhere. And like Jay also said, I think the drivers are taking more of that energy um, than we've seen in the past, which has led to the situations. Uh, that have unfolded with Kurt Busch, Alex Bowman, and, and others throughout the course of the year. So um, I, don't, I won't get on my soapbox too much here, but I certainly want to say that, you know, thoughts are with Alex for however long it takes him to get better. Um, you know, obviously, hopefully that's sooner than later, but his health is, is priority number one. So hopefully he can get back in and finish out the season. It's unfortunate, certainly, um, as a championship contending car that it may have ended his season prematurely, but health has to be the priority number one. So hopefully he gets back this season. If not, we'll see him next year. But um, obviously I I think that there is no question that um, work will be done on this car at some point. I, I think that Sharon brings up a good point about the logistical part of it it probably can't happen this season. So we can only hope that the remaining six races um, go by without any more injuries and they can spend the off season um, analyzing data, interviewing drivers, industry professionals, people with the teams, whoever that is necessary to be involved in, in further improvements and, and, and changes can be made that will lead to safer racing next year. I mean, racing always will have a risk. There's no doubt that going, you know, 180 or 200 miles an hour around a racetrack at a high speed has a risk to it, right? We, we, we accept that. I think as fans knowing that there is a risk involved in that. And certainly from a driver's standpoint, they accept the risk of it as well. Um, and I think that we've also gotten to a point where we've accepted, you know, how safe, the racing has become in recent times. Look at the massive step forward that NASCAR took going from the Gen 4 Cup car to the car of tomorrow. That was an incredible move from a safety standpoint, and I believe that you know they, the sport was heralded for that back in 2007 because of how safe the car was, and, and that you know basic chassis was the, the most recent version of the Cup car as well. And you know we got used to a sport in which you know, injuries and concussions were kind of few and far between. We weren't really used to seeing these things. I mean, you know, look back to 22 years ago um, in 2000 when there were, what, three fatal accidents in that one season alone, you know, culminating with the death of of Dale Earnhardt. And, you know, that was 
a catalyst for change and, and some awesome changes were made. I mean, like I just mentioned, you know, several years of development after those accidents led to the, the car of tomorrow. And, you know, that led to a very, very safe stretch of racing. Um, for whatever reason with this new car, it's just, it's, it's a bit of a step back. And I hate to say that, but you know, I, it really appears that way when you consider the concussions and, and stuff that's happened this year. And I think that learning can take place from that and they can work hard to improve it. And I'm sure they want to do that. I'm sure NASCAR wants to do that. The drivers obviously want to do that because it's their own lives on the line. The teams, everybody involved, I think has that collective common goal to try to improve and and make things better. And and I 100% believe that, but um, again, I can just simply close out by saying, you know, we have to hope that these next six races go by without um, any more injuries and they can, they can work hard at improving and making things better. And, uh, and I'm sure that's exactly what will, will take place during the off season. Okay, Jay. Yeah. You know, I've hit on two things or one thing. And then the other for me is a, is a separate, but not even knowing for sure what the problem is and understanding why it is happening. Uh, it's conjecture that the, the energy with the new car not taking as much give or giving as much may be a leading contributing factor, but they don't have the data to show that. And I think of two things. I know they have the, it's a mouth guard that drivers can opt to have in that gives them some of them data. And I think back to the Hans device after Earnhardt's passing and they came and mandated the Hans device. Drivers and Tony Stewart was one of them that rebelled against it. That was for their safety, for their protection to prevent another death, and drivers rebelled against it. So they now want to scream, say NASCAR isn't doing anything. Well, they screamed when NASCAR was doing something for their safety. So the other thing I look at is I don't see Alex Bowman saying, hey, NASCAR ended my season, ended my career. Kurt Busch saying, hey, NASCAR's at fault. This car is bad. I'm never getting in another one. They're not the ones saying it. It's the people outside that want to take information. And I understand to a certain level, I understand uh, there's times when I agree with Mike about transparency. That data that they gathered, that hasn't been publicly released because somebody will take it and try and build a case and spin it their way when it's not really true. They use it to their advantage. I think about any time you watch the news, you watch one channel and it says this and we got data. Watch another channel, it says the exact opposite and we got data. Uh, You know, the COVID thing. I mean, there's so many things with that. So I understand them not releasing that publicly. Whether or not Denny Hamlin got it when he asked for it, I don't know. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I would think that they would have some kind of access to it. But there is also a reason for protecting it as well rather than letting it get out there and the wrong person try and use it to spin something their way. Okay, Mike. Well, a couple of things I want to point out. First is that the idea of the teams running lower tire pressure and that causes the tire failures, that's only a theory. It's speculation on the part of the broadcasters and third-party media who watches the races and comments on it. I don't know of any team, driver, crew chief, et cetera, who's come out and said, yes, we were running a lower-than-specified tire pressure, and as a result of that, our tire failed. I don't know that that has happened at all. If I'm wrong, please correct me, but I don't think that there's anything Brad, other than Brad speculation. Kesla- Brad, Kesla- Brad Keselowski did today on Race Hub. Larry McReynolds has said it. 
Andy Petrie has said it. Yep, I've heard it okay. a lot. Well, if Brad Keselowski has said it, yes, Larry McReynolds is not a current crew chief, so he can't. To my understanding, he but can't comment on yes, our car. Okay. All right, moving on to the other thing I wanted to point out regarding the crash test data. The Talladega test, the crash test at Talladega was done at 130 miles an hour. That is probably a 70 miles an hour less than race pace at Talladega and probably still 50 miles an hour less than a lot of impacts that happen at Talladega. So it's another example where the testing may not have been adequate. It looks like the car was not for ready robot. for it, exactly. Well, either way, it looks like this car wasn't ready for prime time. And I understand that they had, they were trying to develop the car during the COVID pandemic. I get it. I get that they were limited in their resources, limited in their testing opportunities, et cetera. They delayed it one year already. They could have delayed it another year, tested it more when they had more opportunities to do so, but they chose to push the car out into competition, and it doesn't seem like it was ready. And that's the concern here. Now, what can we do over six races? I don't know. Like Jay said, there's not a lot of time to make things happen, and it's not like we have a week or two off between these races. It's one every week for the next six weeks. There's really not a whole lot of options. The only option at this point is to kind of do a – NASCAR's coming up on their 75th anniversary, and they're big on throwbacks. It may be time to throw back to the 1969 inaugural race at Talladega where the driver said, this car – and this track and this facility is not safe for us to continue with, and they sit out the race. And that might send the message that something needs to change here. But I really don't want to see another driver get injured or, God forbid, get killed because we want to continue racing and putting on a show with a car that wasn't adequately tested and developed. Jay, uh, I'm sorry, Mike, nobody here wants that. Nobody. Okay? Nobody in NASCAR wants that. The drivers don't want that. Nobody wants someone to die in those cars. Okay? The reason they can't go back to the Xfinity cars or um, some of these other cars is because those cars have been sold already. That's part of the reason why they had to go ahead and move forward with the, the new car because with the planning process, a lot of those teams sold those cars to the Arkham Menard series, to super late models, and other, t- other organizations that have already adapted those cars. So to make that happen is going to be, again, a little bit of a logistical nightmare. So it's not something that they can just say, okay, let's do this, and it happens. I wish it was that way. I wish they could be like I dream a genie and blink their eyes and and all of these things can happen, but it's not. Um, So, again, there are some things that they can do, and I've, I've already mentioned those things that they can do. Is it ideal? It's not the best situation. It's not the most ideal situation. But people have to make a choice at this point. And they have to deal with what it is, not what they want it to be. So if we know that there's this issue and it is what it is, then they have to make choices about how they're racing each other on the track and they're going to have to make choices about whether or not they're going to stay, go with the reward, go with less risk by 
playing with the PSI on those tires. And Scott Miller said it even on on um, when he gave his interview. He said that the drivers that were more conservative are the drivers that did not have the problem with the tires. So they were going to look at the PSIs that drivers were using, but he already knew that the drivers that were more conservative with their PSIs, they had already done that research, those were the drivers that did not have the issues, including Tyler Ruddick, who won the race. So, again, this is a learning process. I brought it up last Monday. Tyler Reddick learned that playing with that PSI was not a good idea. He adapted. He made changes, and he was able to win that race while the other drivers who played with the PSI were wrecking themselves. So, again, it's it's not an ideal situation. I know that. It's not what we want to see a playoff race be. But I'm telling you, this is a situation that we have, so some difficult decisions have to be made. But you have to deal with reality and what can and cannot be done. So um, nobody wants to see somebody injured severely in one of these cars or worse. So I think that we can take that off of the table because nobody wants that. So I think that if if um, people use their heads on this and they make the right choices that they can eliminate the risk that is apparent with these cars, whether it's the stiffer body, whether it's the way they're using the Hans device, whether it's whatever it is, that's what they're trying to determine and that's what they're trying to fix. So it takes cooperation from everybody to be involved to make that determination at this point. So we have to deal with what it is. Andy? To be honest, I I really don't have much follow-up. I said what I needed to the first time around through, and we are approaching the 1030 mark if you want to go ahead and talk about that. Okay, Andy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, We are at that time of the night that i like to make an announcement just for our first-time listeners. Uh, those of you that have tuned in before know this, but uh, for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, it's just to let you know that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. We are going to continue our conversation beyond that time, and, we, and the will be recorded, uh, and it will be available as part of our overtime bonus material on our podcast. So... I will go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can just fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So it's Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio on Facebook if you want to uh, catch that information and uh, move forward from there. Okay, Jay, you get to bring up the next hot topic. Well, this is one we knew we would have a follow-up as there was penalties announced for uh, both William Byron and Ty Gibbs. Uh, William Byron bumping Denny Hamlin under caution on the track, and then Ty Gibbs on pit road with, uh, I believe it was Ty Dillon that he ran into, if if I recall correctly. Um, William Byron was issued 
A $50,000 fine. The team assessed with the 25 driver points, 25 owner points, whereas Ty Gibbs was $75,000 and only uh, 25 for the owner's points as he is not a uh, cup driver. Okay. Uh, Mike, your thoughts about the penalties? There was a lot of hand-wringing about this, and Jay kind of touched on it, as why did William Byron get a lower financial penalty and a points penalty versus Ty Gibbs, who got a higher money penalty? And there's two, two pieces of this. One, like Jay said, Ty Gibbs is not eligible to collect Cup Series points because he's obviously filling in for the injured Kurt Busch. So there's no points penalty that they could assess to Ty Gibbs unless they wanted to to reach back into the Xfinity series, and then you're getting into some really muddy waters about if you committed offense racing in one series, are you liable to be penalized in another? There is a little bit of precedent for that with Kyle Busch being parked for an entire weekend for all racing for what he did during a truck series race a few years ago. But generally, NASCAR has tended to keep the penalties contained to if you do something wrong in one series, you're penalized within that series and not penalized in other ones. So they were consistent here. The other piece of this is Ty Gibbs is also a repeat offender. Uh, don't forget that Ty Gibbs had contact on pit road after the spring Martinsville race with Sam Mayer, and he was penalized for that. So in, in terms of precedent, uh, NASCAR is saying, hey, you clearly didn't learn your lesson the first time. Let's hit you a little bit harder and, and make it happen. With regard to the William Byron penalty, I'm glad to see that it's not just a fine. There's been a lot of fines and crew chief suspensions and other penalties that get dished out that really have no appreciable effect on these teams. They've got pretty deep pockets. Most of us don't have $25,000 in our pocket walking around, but Hendrick Motorsports sure does. William Byron individually as a NASCAR Cup Series driver sure does. So just a financial penalty is not that big of a deal for these drivers and teams. The thing that really hurts them the most is the points penalty, especially during the playoffs. So 25 points dropped William Byron from being, I think he was plus 11, 17, something like that from the cut line to minus seven. So now he is in not a must-win situation, but he's in a much more precarious situation going into the second of three races in this round. He's not in, like I said, he's not in a must-win situation, but because of this penalty, he is in a much more uncomfortable position, especially going into the uncertainty of Talladega and the Charlotte Roval. So I'm glad to see that NASCAR was, it was willing to issue a penalty that has some serious teeth to it, and hopefully that message goes, goes out there and other drivers see that this is not a, a hot stove that you want to put your finger on. You're going to find out that it is indeed hot. Whether that sends the message about using your car as a weapon, we're going to see with, it, with as, as emotional and as charged as these playoffs are, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but at least the message has been sent that NASCAR is watching, and even if you don't catch a penalty during the race at the track, you are still liable to be held accountable for your behavior even after the fact. Okay, Andy. Well, I mean, I'm glad to see that a penalty took place here. Uh, I think in both cases something needed to be done. Um, like we discussed the other night, um, you know, both of those drivers, you know, put themselves into, into pretty bad spots. Obviously, Ty Gibbs slamming into a car in pit road, nearly getting into pit crew members or shoving a car into pit crew members. And then 
you know, Byron spinning Hamlin under caution, you know, both of those things should never have happened. And I, I think the penalties fit the crime. I think one was, um, I forget the monetary value, but I think seven, both maybe were 75,000 or 70,000 and 75,000 were the loss of, so that one, I think they lost 25 championship points, driver and owner. And then I believe uh, Ty Gibbs was 75,000 with a loss of 20 owner's points, I believe, something like that. But, mm-hmm. um, yep. you know, I think it's, I think, you know, in Byron's case, the point penalty hurts. That's a playoff car. So, you know, at the end of this round of the playoffs, they may look back to that 25 point penalty and they, that may be the difference between them moving on or, or not. So I think that's, a fairly significant penalty. And then with Gibbs, like Mike mentioned, you know, this isn't the first time that he's done this. You know, he ran into the car at Martinsville in the Xfinity race earlier this year. I believe it was Sam Mayer after their dispute. So um, second offense warranted a heftier monetary fine. Hopefully he has to actually pay it himself and not Grandpa Gibbs. But, um, you know, it would be nice if, if, you know, they could hold him personally responsible. And certainly if I was his age and, had to pay $75,000 from my bank account, I'd probably think twice about doing something dumb like that in the future. So uh, we can only hope that he's learned from that and won't make that kind of mistake again. And I think to me, that was the more severe incident of the two, not saying that what um, Byron did was, was right. It certainly was not. But in the case of Gibbs, you know, shoving a car and nearly cleaning out pit crew members, that could have killed someone. So um, you gotta you gotta make this kid understand that you can't do that kind of stuff. So hopefully he got the message, and you know hopefully he's learned something from it. Yeah, I agree with uh, what both of you guys are saying. The only thing I can add to that, and and I think you did uh, allude to it, Mike, is that uh, the penalty may have been stiffer for him in addition to the how close the proximity was to possibly injuring. Uh, a pit crew member, uh, you know, you were talking inches in the case with uh, Ty Gibbs and his situation and probably feet or yards uh, when you're talking about Denny Hamlin in the infield there uh, and and the potential for injury. But there was potential for injury there too. Uh, but I do think that if it happened again, uh, for William Byron, that he would get a heftier fine as well. Uh, but I also agree with Mike that the the penalty, I, I'm not sure it's enough yet <laughs> to really change behavior. We'll see. Uh, the proof is in the pudding on whether or not it stops these guys using their cars uh, as weapons because that's never uh, a good situation and always holds the potential for an accident, uh, an accidental injury somewhere along the line. So um, that's about the only thing I can really add to what you guys are saying. Uh, I, I wish it was a little bit heftier uh, because I do think that they need to um, uh, really make a statement. We'll find out if these guys uh, get the message. Jay? Well, I got a lot to say. Uh, some of it's going to kind of sound contradictory to what I said the other night. Having fully watched it and broken it down, first off, I don't think Ty Gibbs was enough. I understand they couldn't penalize him driver points because he is not a driver in the Cup Series. Um, that is one that I think could have carried over to the Xfinity Series or any other series, as we saw back with Kyle Busch 
when he absolutely drove uh, Ron Hornaday up into the wall. Same thing as we saw with Matt Kenseth. I know, I know that was under uh, race conditions, but um, that has been a case where they may have, have set him out completely um, for a race or two. The William Byron incident, and I know they're appealing it. I'm not sure what their stance on the appeal is. I feel like maybe this is a new precedence that NASCAR is setting. Because as we've seen, and Denny Hamlin is one of them, Brad Keselowski, who was on Race Hub and talked about it, he acknowledged when he did with, uh-huh. Team Penske appealed and then withdrew. Is that what you were getting at? I'm sorry. No, no, just the, the appealing the penalty for the wrecking under caution. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember what – that's another one, Team Penske denying theirs. Again, that was – they've been over that one. They just wanted their crew there for that weekend. But um, Brad talked about when he wrecked Austin Dillon at uh, Michigan, I believe it was. Um, so this is a new situation. I'm not going to say NASCAR's wrong because if they want it to stop, they do need to do points. However, when you look at it, and I'm not saying Byron didn't hit him hard, but we've seen hits like that under caution or even during the race of just that, hey, I'm upset, frustrated with you. In this case, Hamlin happened to lose control of his car, lost his spot, lost, what did they say, went from third to 22nd, I think is what we read tonight. So I can kind of see them have not penalized there. It was under caution. I understand that. And Mike, I think, mentioned it, you know, not that you're loosening your belts, but you're relaxed, um, taking a break, getting some water or whatever. So I'm not necessarily in favor of it, but we haven't seen that kind of penalty as far as that before. The pit road thing, absolutely. And I hadn't seen the full clip of that, of Ty Dillon locking up his tires because not only was it Truex's crew that was around that, I think it was Truex that was sitting there. No, I take that back. It was Chris Busher. That's why, because it was uh, Brad's teammate. Um, There were track officials that were around that car because they were uh, on the clock and whatever they were working on. So, yeah, that was very, very, very dangerous. And mentioned those are unprotected. Again, I'm I'm not condoning it, but Denny Hamlin in his car, when he got bumped, isn't necessarily at high as high a risk. So it'll be interesting to see what the outcome of this appeal is um, for the William Byron uh, number 24 uh, Hendrick Motorsports team is. I don't see him winning it, but we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I think they needed to focus more on Ty Gibbs, the on-pit road situation, more than anything. Mike? Well, as painful as it is, I agree with Jay that the the pit road situation is absolutely unacceptable and definitely needs to be penalized as harshly as, I don't want to say as harshly as possible, but at least as harshly as is reasonable. You could fine him $20 million, but that's probably not within the bounds of reasonableness. But I agree that the trying to to shove another car on pit road, especially with pit road, pit crew members, track officials, basically people not wearing a 3,400-pound race car around them and safety equipment is absolutely unacceptable, and that message needs to be sent loud and clear that you don't mess around on pit road. Uh, With regard to William Byron and the appeal, I think their grounds, I'm sure, is going to be on the basis of precedent where NASCAR has 
had incidents like this in the past, maybe some worse, maybe some not so bad, where they didn't intervene and they didn't penalize the driver either during the race or after the race. And I'm, I'm sure that's going to be the grounds of their appeal. Hopefully NASCAR is able to say this is the new precedent. And I don't know if they can, can, can publish a new rule for the remainder of the 2022 season, but maybe it's time to put something in writing where – they lay out kind of like they did with the, the penalty schedule for messing with the Gen 7 car where they say, no matter what you do, if you mess with the Gen 7 car, this is the penalty schedule. And maybe it is time for NASCAR to lay out a more formalized uh, penalty schedule for actions on the track that will merit a penalty in terms of, for lack of a better way to put it, using your car as a weapon. And I don't know how you can define it, whether – you define it based on results. If you spin another car out and they lose control, that's a penalty. I don't know what criteria they would want to use, but I think NASCAR's defense for this appeal is going to be based around this is a new precedent that we're trying to set. We're trying to correct behavior that has been a problem in the past, and William Byron just happens to be the unfortunate recipient of our first round of this new penalty system. But if they're going to do that, they're probably going to need to put it more in writing, more black and white, and have specific definitions of what behavior is and is not acceptable and what penalties will come along with that behavior. So it's probably something to pay attention to during the offseason to see if that is a formalized thing that gets written down and published to the teams as part of the official rulebook. Andy. Yeah, I think that the precedent set forth with, in particular, the Byron incident is a good thing. And, and maybe, you know, if the rest of the field sees this, they'll think twice about doing the same such thing in the future. So, um, you know, maybe they do make the rule and the penalty a little bit more defined. I'm sure if William Byron knew he'd get penalized for it, he wouldn't have done it in the first place. And you can understand the frustration. He felt like he was run up into the wall and he was upset about it. And I can totally understand that and, and, and the frustration involved there, but, you know, certainly spinning someone out after the caution flag has already been displayed is, is, you know, not good form or good taste. And, and, you know, the most important part about all that is the fact that, you know, someone could get injured, you know, if they're doing something else, not paying attention, loose belts, whatever the case may be. So uh, it's good to see a penalty come from this and, you know, maybe they do, um, kind of make it more black and white in the future, if you will. But I think in both cases, um, some kind of penalty needed to take place and it did, which is good. So, um, you know, you can only hope that maybe lessons are learned and they move on. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering as we're talking here, uh, one of the things is, um, Intent. One of the things that uh, they mentioned on the broadcast, I think, is uh, unless the driver admits that he intentionally did it, uh, it's really hard to sometimes make that call by NASCAR, and I think that's why it's a little bit iffy on some of these situations. I think about Kyle Busch spinning out uh, in order to help his driver in the in the truck series a uh, while back. There was a lot of questions about that and if he should have been fine. Well, Kyle Busch never admitted that, you know, it was easy for him to kind of get out of that because he never admitted to doing it. And um, so NASCAR never fined him or never penalized him for it. Um, I think William Byron did kind of admit uh, that he did it, 
in a roundabout kind of way, but he did admit it. Um, and and so NASCAR's got to react to that. Um, what I'm afraid of is that uh, if drivers do it uh, kind of in a different way and then blame it on, oh, you know, it, you know, I didn't intentionally do that. Uh, that was uh, that's the way to kind of get out of these things. With regard to the appeal, I think that that's part of what they're going to maybe bring up. But I think the other part that they're going to bring up uh, is is perhaps that Jenny Hamlin was just as guilty as William Byron as far as bumping and banging back and forth um, uh, throughout the event, and they might feel like maybe Jenny Hamlin should be penalized as well. If he's not going to be penalized, then they shouldn't be penalized. So they may have some video footage that shows that Denny Hamlin started it. I brought this up earlier. He seems to be a common denominator in some of these things that are happening on the tracks. Um, I don't know, but I'm just speculating here. So I kind of keep that in mind. But I, I do think that um, it'll be interesting to see how NASCAR responds to the appeal. I do have a problem with appeals that happen just to give uh, the team time to to uh, deal with it, um, and and that's another situation I know. But um, I, I do um, I do think that uh, they're going to fight for those 25 points, and that's what this appeal is all about. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll see uh, you know what comes out of it and uh, go from there. But, Jay, what are your th- your final thoughts here? My final thoughts are you've got to let me talk before you because you, you said it exactly. It comes down to William <laughs> Byron admitted it. Uh, it was yeah. Dale Earnhardt Jr. on Sirius XM that said, hey, William screwed up because he admitted it. Not because he had done it, because yep. he admitted it. And, and it wasn't even a full outright admission. Um, but it certainly implied it. I know when Mike put it up, he was like, did William Byron just admit it? I I have a tough time with that because you're encouraging what we saw with the, exactly. you brought up Kyle Busch, and he's not been the only one, I guarantee that, that'll wink slyly and say, no, I didn't mean to spin him out and wink or smirk or whatever. You know they did, but they didn't admit it. So NASCAR was put in a box here. The other thing, and I know this is a separate hot topic of how did NASCAR miss, in this case, both of them. Because um, Scott Miller said, had we saw it during the race, we would have adjusted it then. And truthfully, would have been better for William Byron. Because they said if they'd have put him to the back of the pack at that point in the race, it would only have been 20-some points, not 25. Um, so, like I said, I know that's a separate topic as well. But, yeah, the biggest thing, though, is, they're encouraging them. The other is bumping and banging, as we saw with Denny Hamlin with Ross Chastain, during the race is considered okay. To me, I, I don't know that I want that to be the case either. I can't hit him under caution. I've got to hit him under the, during the race because now you've got more cars that are probably going to be involved. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is there. You know, certainly, uh, like I said, of most everybody saying, hey, William screwed up just because he admitted it. I don't want to see that either, where they just do it and then deny it when it's clearly obvious either. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, NASCAR's in, in a very unfortunate position. Again, it goes back to a judgment call, and when they got to make those, somebody's not going to be happy with it. Exactly. 
Okay, um, Mike, you're up next for the next top topic. So this is some interesting news today. There's been a lot of talk about Trackhouse Racing and their Project 91 car bringing in drivers from different racing disciplines to the NASCAR Cup Series. And we got an announcement today via a podcast that Connor Daly will be participating in the race at the Charlotte Roval. The interesting part is this is not a Project 91 entry. Connor Daly is going to be driving for none other than the money team. <laughs> interesting. Andy, your thoughts? <laughs> the money yeah, team that was you know, never going to make it. Yeah, actually, I, I've been kind of wondering where this team went. We saw them a little bit at the start of the season, and then they, they kind of disappeared. But it's cool to see them put a car on the track for Connor Daly. I've um, certainly enjoyed seeing drivers from other racing disciplines come um, give NASCAR a shot. And I think that it's it's great to see that. It's great to see participation from outside um, the start car realm. And I think that it also helps bring potentially new interest to the sport. So this is a good thing. Um, I'm excited about it, you know, and it'll be cool for him to get some experience behind the wheel of a cup car. Uh, the Roval was always an entertaining race, and, you know, it would be cool to see um, how they can do. Obviously, um, you know, it's a team that doesn't run very often, but I think just being able to run the event and, and get some time behind the wheel of a cup car is, is probably what their goal is, and uh, it, it's cool to see them come over and give it a shot. Okay, Jay, your turn. You get to speak before me. All right. Well, in this case, I'm just going to take a couple of shots directly at Mike. Uh, how can you not be happy that the money team's coming back? Or is, I don't even know how they're coming back, but making another race. Um, second would be that fact that a driver, and I'm not against this, don't get me wrong, I'm happy to see it in this particular case, but a driver bringing money to the team gets to race. I know Mike's not in favor of that, but he's in favor of this one, so... When, when it comes to track house, I think they had that set. They only had X number of races. They were going to do specifically uh, road courses. So when you talk about track house, I think that's what it was, was they just weren't ready to do that on, I know this is considered a road course, but set up for that particular race. They had their slotted races they were going to do. The money team was available. Uh, money was brought to the team in, in this situation. And I think it is a good thing all the way around, though, um, I enjoy seeing the money team on the track. Hopefully it becomes a more regular thing, but I also like to see, like you know, we've all talked about the good thing of the crossover and different names, even if it is only for one or two off, uh, races. Yeah, I agree. I think anytime we can do a crossover, it brings fans from, you know, that other discipline to this discipline and, uh, vice versa when we're able to do it the other way. So I think it's a good thing. Um, yeah, Connor Daly's bringing money to the to the team, and ironically, the money team. Uh, so I, you know, that allows them to be able to do this, uh, and I think it, it'll be fun to see what Connor Daly does at the Charlotte Roval. Um, he's not in the best equipment to race on the Roval, but. Uh, you know, he's a good driver, so we'll see what he's able to do. Uh, and maybe with the money he's bringing, he, he can kind of up the, the level of performance there. We'll see what happens with it. I, 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 anytime there's a crossover, I think it's a good thing, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to see it happening. So, Michael, 
What are your thoughts? Well, first off, I want to point out to Jay that at best, the very best for you, you are only serving me some reheated leftover crow because this is not new crow. I never said that the money team wasn't coming back, nor did I say that they weren't coming to the Charlotte Roval. I just said that they wouldn't show up in the first place, and that was my serving of crow. So I want that to be abundantly clear coming out of the gate. Uh, Secondly, I am really happy to see another crossover. Like you guys have said, a rising tide lifts all boats. And the more fans that we can bring in from other disciplines, in this case, Connor Daly is an IndyCar regular. If we can get some IndyCar fans to watch NASCAR and they like what they see and hopefully they put on a good show and nobody gets hurt, then we got a really good show. And hopefully some of those IndyCar fans stick around and watch the remainder of the NASCAR Cup Series and become longtime NASCAR fans. So that's, that's a good thing for everybody, including Connor Daly. With regard to the money team, I'm still not convinced that they're a serious racing team to try and grow into some sort of a regular championship contending team. It's good that they've got another driver coming in. It's good that that driver is bringing in funding in order to get the car on the racetrack. That's, that's always a good thing. But in terms of long-term benefit to the sport, I would have preferred to see him in the 91 car. I don't know what the situation with that is. Like Jay said, it was always going to be a limited select kind of a thing. And with that car being more or less destroyed at Watkins Glen when Kimi Räikkönen was driving it, I know Trackhouse has other cars available, but I'm not sure how they partition their equipment, whether there is a very specific 91 car and team. And since that car was destroyed at Watkins Glen, that opportunity is limited because of equipment availability. I don't know. Hopefully we see more of not just Project 91, but other other teams offering drivers from other disciplines and other motorsports the opportunity to race in the NASCAR Cup Series because, like I said, it benefits everybody. And I really do look forward to seeing what Conrad Daly can do. Like Sharon said, I don't expect the equipment to be the very best that he could potentially be given, but he's a very talented race car driver. Also very adept in road course racing coming from the IndyCar series. So if there was an opportunity for him to exceed the capabilities of that equipment, it's a pretty good opportunity. It should be pretty entertaining to watch. Okay, Andy. Yeah, nothing to really follow up on other than, you know, I think this is a cool opportunity um, for Connor to come do this. And um, to reiterate what I've already said, it's fun to see drivers from other racing disciplines come give it a shot. So, Definitely a, a good situation and a good thing happening, and, and looking forward to it. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. I, I don't see uh, the money team, obviously, as a contender. We'll see if races like this helps them get to that point, because uh, I would like to see that of any team become a weekly contender, not just out there for, for one or two races, but if that's what they got to do right now to establish themselves, uh, that's a good thing on their part. Um, I do hope that it is solid and reliable equipment. Uh, you know, I look at it from the other aspect. If you're only doing five races a year or however many they've done, you put more emphasis on those particular races. So it might be that it is a good car. Um, we'll have to wait and see and see how it turns out. But I do think overall everything from it is going to be beneficial to the sport. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add there. I think you guys have uh, pretty much hit the nail on the head. (laughs) So, Mike, you get the last word. 
Well, that's about it. We've got, uh, obviously, Talladega is this weekend, but the Charlotte Roval is the weekend after this. So, what, about nine days from now, we're going to see how this plays out. I wish him the very best, him and the money team. I know that I've made a lot of jokes at the money team's expense, and I'm probably not going to stop either. But I do wish, wish them the very best. I don't know if they're going to be a contender to win the race, but hopefully their, their outing there is beneficial and they get a, enough exposure to their partners who participated to financially make this happen, that it makes it worthwhile and we see more of it. Okay. Uh, let's see. We're at the top of the hour, so it's time for us to do our roundtable. Andy, you get to kick that off. Yeah, CB14 fan on uh, Twitter, and obviously it's Talladega this weekend. Pretty excited about that. Looks like the um, the weather's going to cooperate. So, um, Mike, I don't know if you're going or not, but hope you do, and hope you have fun, and uh, certainly hopeful that I can catch at least some of the racing this weekend. Um, and uh, it's always a fun one, so I'm certainly looking forward to it. All right, Mike. Mike underscore is L on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Unfortunately, I'm going to be stuck in the simulator on Saturday, and I'm not going to get out of there in time to make it to the race on Sunday, so I'm going to be watching this one on TV this weekend. The weather does not look wonderful, at least for Saturday. So the upshot for me, being stuck in the sim on Saturday afternoon with bad weather in Talladega, there's a really good chance that the racing on Saturday gets rained out, and I get to watch it all on Sunday and Monday when I'm off of work. I look forward to seeing it. Talladega is always fun. Everyone loves junk food, and Talladega is the junk food of racing, so I'm, and I'm looking forward to enjoying this one. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And believe it or not, yeah, with the the weather in the area that has been, I don't think I will be at a dirt track this weekend, so I'll be watching the uh, NASCAR races as they happen, if they will. And one last thing against to Mike, we'll see how uh, Noah Gregson does in that number uh, 88 machine, or 48. It's no longer the 88, 48 machine. Had to get that one in here before the show ended. Okay, a response to that, Mike? <laughs> that was it. Okay. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> okay. I am Fan for Racing Psyched on Twitter and Fan for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforracing.com, where we have our Fan for Racing radio player. So uh, we hope everybody enjoyed the show as much as we enjoy doing it. And uh, we uh, definitely appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, also, a big thank you to our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, we have here tonight Jay Huseman, uh, Andy Lasky, and Michael Orzel. I got everybody's name correctly. Jay asked me earlier if I was going to introduce him as Jay Lasky tonight. <laughs> and uh, Andy Huseman, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Lasky and Andy Huseman. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we got it right tonight, so that's good. Um, and, uh, Mike, I, I have to work on something for you. See if oh, I there's can plenty of material there. To, there's plenty of material to come up with a, a fun and entertaining nickname with me. Just don't cross-pollinate with me. I don't associate with his kind. <laughs> you are bad. Anyway. <laughs> We're going to move on right from that. Um, 
But anyway, I uh, definitely am looking forward to the racing this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, Super Speedway racing isn't my favorite type of racing, but uh, it is always interesting uh, to see what happens. I I do hope the drivers tone it down a little bit uh, so that uh, nobody gets hurt. That's the main thing. So we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody on the other side Monday night when we come back and do our review of the racing at Talladega, as well as the two ARCA races, the ARCA West at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California, and then the ARCA Menard Series racing at Salem Speedway in Indiana this weekend. So enjoy your race weekend, everybody. And that's a wrap, guys. Good night, everybody. Okay, up next on... Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.